for just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. The Elk Bros have never hunted elk outside of New Mexico. That is, until this season. Like thousands of others, we packed up our vehicles with gear and hit the Colorado border. Then we stopped to buy over-the-counter tags and headed for the mountains. Want to know what we learned? Well then, here we go. On tonight's show, it's all about OTC archery elk hunting in Colorado. What worked, what didn't, lessons learned, our insights and thoughts. That discussion, some elk bros shout outs and scenario questions from our elk bros mailbox. You will not want to miss. So my friends, pull up a chair, adjust your volumes just right, and welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting, brought to you by ElkGrows.com, with your host, Gilbert Ornelas, and elk hunting coach, Joe Gilly. You want to hunt elk? They live to hunt elk. Their goal is to share with you what they have learned grinding it out for over 35 seasons, doing what they love. So come on into camp and set a spell. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunters. Hello there, everyone. If it's your first time with us, glad to have you. Hope you enjoy the show. And as always, from our Blue Collar Hunters following our show and grinding it out with us every week, welcome back to Elk Camp. I'm Gilbert Ornelas, the host of your show, coming to you live from Spring, Texas, and from Katy, Texas, and the DFW metro area. That's right. We've got the leaders of the Venezuelan mafia in the house. <laughs> and from Cimarron, we've got your elk hunting coaches in the house. The ninja, Leroy yes. Chavez, and WWJGD. What's up, fellas? We're all back off the mountain and ready to let our listeners know what's man, up. Man, I feel bad. When the world use like, single, it's, it's not... Plural, it's single. The leader 
I, I'm I don't know make... what y'all are talking about, man. Hey, talking hey, about? you know, it's I feel bad, guys. I feel bad. We we need to kind of let him have it for like a, a few days in a row or something like that. Dude had to actually get money out of his bank account to go and pay somebody <laughs> to actually engrave a cup that would say no. the leader of the Venezuelan mafia. So no, you know that's what? how desperate he is at this point, man. I was like, Brendan, I'm cool. My, man, my good bad. friend Brendan gave it to me. Yeah, it was a yeah. gift. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, Thank you, Brandon. He, he probably Love had to you, pay buddy. Brandon for it, too. I, I want you guys to know I have a cup as well that says leader of the Venezuela mafia. Can't do oh. it. It's just like you, you don't have the birthright. You can't be. It just don't work like that, Joe. You don't understand. It's a mafia, dude. And no, no, you can't. Italians invented uh, the mafia. Uh, no, so, I mean, it's, it's like. Yeah, you can't be a member of the Venezuela. Buddy to to yeah. make sure that yeah. people. That you can be, you can be a member of the Venezuelan mafia, but not a leader of the Venezuelan mafia, don't, Joe. Don't I, worry, I don't do Joe. member, bro. I don't do member. <laughs> don't worry, Joe. I, I feel your pain, brother. I coined them the Venezuelan mafia, <laughs> gave them their name, and birth to the life of the Venezuelan mafia. And I ain't getting no love either, bro. <laughs> Believe me. All I get is grief if I don't call one of them the leader. <laughs> Now all I know is gone and said the leaders of the Venezuela. All I know like is for what grow their faction. Right? Three, like four years, bros. three or four years that we hunted together. I believe those boys walked to behind me. Right? Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, you know it's all saying. You give yeah. somebody an inch, they take a mile, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> They're unleashed. Now. I could go straight yeah. unleashed here, but you'd have to bleep out a lot of it. And I'll tell you what, there are consequences from oh, yeah. behind. Going, going behind Joe. <laughs> Joe. Hey, you know, very uh, negative consequences out of that. <laughs> uh, hey guys, um, so by this time now we were going to do this podcast like a week ago or so. Yeah. But uh, I ended up at Elk Camp, so many things going on that now we're finally getting this out. And Hunt Wars is over. Our coaches are, are back home. There's not a whole lot we can say, but no. let me tell you what, the it's drama awesome. is there, bro. It's, uh, it's, it's pretty doggone cool. And uh, our coaches were fantastic. I got a chance to talk with Troy. I got to talk with Brent and Will. These are all the co-owners. There's four of them, I believe. And, and they were the ones that were out in the field doing uh, Brent and Will were out in the field doing the camera work and bud, man, they, it, the camera footage, the video is off the charts, man. They're just, and they said that, you know, the guys skill sets, what they had to say about uh, Eric and Cole, they were just, you know, uh, they were just top of the line out there. So Hunt Wars is over. Uh, everything's in the can. The editing shall begin. Uh, we'll, we'll start to see what happens in, in next March. But, you know, we're going to do some podcasts. we got to figure out how we're going to do this with these guys because we need to do podcasts with each of the teams and um, or all the teams together and figure out which we're going to do first but and we're going to talk about everything real time straight up while it's fresh in their memory but we're not able to release that until afterwards so um and we've got to find time to do that so we'll get that all figured out we'll we'll hook it up and get those guys going and uh, i can tell you man it was I, i can tell you this they were in elk every day incredible footage um and i'm not sure if 
blood was drawn or not? Well, we'll find out, man. So <laughs> just have to tune in to find out, Joe. Have to find out. But they will be opening up. It won't be long till they'll be opening up for season three of Hunt Wars. So all of our people out there, if you're wanting to have a shot at that and uh, have a completely paid for hunt, besides mm-hmm. you having to get there with thousands of dollars in gear and, uh, you know, get some coaching from the elk bros and get some training. Look, Joe, uh, I heard there was only like 12 or 1300 people that put in for that hunt, man. I think so. so. I that, think so. so that's really good odds of drawing, drawing. Oh yeah. Probably Absolutely. better odds than drawing anywhere else in New Mexico. Well, what, well, or Colorado. I mean, would they, yeah. they had like, what 260,000 people put in for, you know, hunts well, in state, you know, I think we saw them all too, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> so, a lot of them. so so speaking of um you guys have been getting emails from me the success stories the elk bros oh grinders God. success stories smashing it oh man it is just so cool so and i and i want to put it out there all of our grinders if you're listening and you were successful this year we want to shout you out man and and we're going to do that i'm going to shout people out right now a bunch of stuff has been coming in and uh let's let's go right down mark camrath out of uh has a beautiful herd bull out of casper wyoming man i tell you what this guy you know rocked a gorgeous herd bull uh cody knapp painted a picture he said he painted a picture ended up with a 60 yard shot during the early rifle in wyoming so he went out there using our tactics colby shaw from moorhead city north carolina this guy is just down the road just a stone's throw from where i was raised in moyak he gets it done solo he actually was with the group they didn't do good mm-hmm. they went home he still had some days flew back man wow <laughs> flew back and went and got it done solo daniel v hill you guys remember rafael gonzalez you know rafael gonzalez remember uh-huh. luis you said i messed up his name uh, yeah you did again <laughs> <laughs> rafael gonzalez, out of pueblo colorado well rafael rafael <laughs> took his took his buddy daniel um and daniel. Uh, and they produced an elk, Luis. They, not, oh, they did. Not, they produced an elk. Yeah, they got it done out there, man. Mike and and I'm, this guy's like fellow Italian. How would you say this, Luis? N a r d o z z i. Nardozzi. Nardozzi, right? Nardozzi. Mike. My, I was just chatting with Mike earlier. Mike is the bomb man. Um, from Chad's Ford, Pennsylvania. He had gotten hold of me earlier, and there were four in his group coming out to hunt in New Mexico. And uh, the guy bought the academy. He was doing all, listening to all the podcasts, sharing it with his buddies. They went three for four in New Ooh. Mexico. Ooh. Wow. Where were they in, Joe? Three you know? for four. Yep. Huh? Cool. You want to know what unit he was in? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we can talk about that offline. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because I heard somebody that uh, there was somebody that has a podcast that came and hunted in New Mexico. And uh, there were, you know, there were people that were chastising him about saying what unit he was hunting in. But but here's here's the, the simple fact is it's impossible to blow up a unit in New Mexico as far as number of hunters, because it's a fixed number. It's not sure. like, yeah, you can't get not, more. Yeah. You can't get more people. Just decreases your odds from the draw. 
yeah, that's all it is, is, yeah. you know, it decreases your odds when people put in for it. So, yeah, um, we're still not sharing where we hunt, but <laughs> um, let's so, uh, oh, this is so cool, man. Corey Vadis from Maui, Hawaii. Oh, man, that's uh, too cool. Corey, <clears throat> this guy gets a hold of me because he's hunting in New Mexico. Mahalo, Corey, man. And he comes Mahalo. over here and he, he starts getting the tips. He's, he's an axis hunter in Maui. They love to hunt axis. over. They hunt everything, man, over there. He just loves to hunt. Comes over and comes into New Mexico, northern New Mexico, gets it done on the last day. Sends me a picture with, uh, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was, he, he was stoked. Shane Anderson, it took Shane six years, and he got it done. He said, I started as a lover. I moved to glunking and long muse. <clears throat> and, man, and that bull man just came in and took care of it, got the work done. Six years, and then he listened to what we did and got That's out there and got it awesome. done. Yeah. Uh, John Calamaro of Nampa, Idaho, he goes to Washington and helps his brother-in-law, Mitch Baker, who's of Mount Vernon, Washington, take his first elk, a rosy, oh, 17 wow. yards, man. Wow. That's a hell of an encounter right there, buddy. And, and he said that he, he you know, <laughs> he had it on video, but the camera didn't work, man. Oh, it was no. Like, Forgot to oh, no. record. Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> one of those things is camera C, you know, so (laughs) been there, done that. Yeah. So, but you know, and I told him, I was, you know, Chav, you know how we say some things are not meant to be on video. video. Oh yeah, for sure. (laughs) Yeah. Just meant to be in your memory. And he says he can write to the, he can still see that animal coming out into the park and coming all the way across 17 yards, Joe, what would I give? 17, 17 Mm -hmm. yards, man. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. Close. Oh, also though, um, John wanted to give a shout out to Vinny Farrell, man, because Vinny is 65. Vinny Mm -hmm. left camp to hike all the way into where they were out to help finish the quartering and carried a 55 pound pack out. And, you know, and he's like, Vinny kicked butt for the team that day. So he just wanted to give a shout out my brothers too. They Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Way to take it for the team there, Vinny, man. We all ride the river together. Jed Booth out of Wyoming. Jed said he had 18 years. <laughs> He's hunted elk for prior to this year, <clears throat> years. Had 18 years of unsuccessful. Said he lucked into one into in year in, in year 19. Now, I'd kind of, Jed, I'd kind of, you know, say that really doesn't happen but right. he says he lucked in one then again in 20 he did not get an elk so he dedicated himself to being a 10 percenter he said he went he used the elk bros resources uh he bought uh, the academy and he said he changed it li- changed his life man his elk hunting life i don't know about the other life but <clears throat> he said he called and killed a bull at 35 yards man wow 35 awesome yards. brother yeah. Congratulations. So 21 and 21 was the year, man. Definitely. Get this. I just had an email that just popped up on my computer that says success exclamation point. Dylan <laughs> Smith here from Kansas again said he wanted to drop a line to say thank you again for all the podcasts and he got it done. You, you guys have got to see this. I got to share this for you, man. 
so that you can because because that wasn't in the list. So I it, know it's, it's fresh it, off the press, huh? It, it just came in. This is hot off the press. Yeah, today is, is September 29th. Oh, look at that. Oh, oh wow, dude. Look That's at that. So big. Oh, man. Where is wow. he? It looks like there's a little snow or ice on the ground. Yeah. Yeah. It looks like it's a little frozen. Wow. There, look a how big that booger is, head, man. Ah, uh, man. Congrats. That's yeah. awesome. Wow. That is cool. I mean, that is He's a, a mean looking. That, that's a, would say that's seven, a monarch. Seven by seven there, y'all. Seven, seven by seven. seven. Wow. Yep. Big, big seven yeah, by seven. Big seven. Isn't that awesome, man? Uh, it is a monarch. It's got that in Wyoming. On the Wyoming. General, on the general tag. Awesome. On yep. the general tag. Yep. That's so cool, man. Wow. Well, congrats, awesome? man. It's, Super. Did you say how far, how far you took him at, Joe? Uh, let's see. It does not say. It just says that they should have had one for Ryan, and they'd have been two for two. I'm sure we're wow. going to get a story from him. Uh, be Looks able like to, he got a high lung, and I bet he didn't go very far. Yeah, we'll find be it. interesting score from that one. You know, yeah. here here's the picture I want to show because this is cool. Everybody's always talking about how hunters they want to do the grip and grin and everything like that, right? I, I want you to I want you to see this. This is uh, this is one of the pictures that he sent me. Look at here. <laughs> yeah, buddy. Look at that processing Working. quality meat right there. Yep. yep. That is, uh, that is pure protein for life right there, man. So yes. Awesome, man. So that, yeah, that just came in. I'm sitting here talking and that just, so Dylan gets a shout out, man. And, uh, so let's see, I was at, uh, uh Oh, here we Greg, go. Greg, Mr. Cook. Crook. Greg Crook out of Arizona just filled his bucket list. And, uh, I don't know if you read that. I don't think you've seen the emails yet, Gilbert. I, just, I, see, I see a little bit of it. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he said he wants more Ornelas unleashed. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> don't they all Dude, we need more Ornelas unleashed. I was he like, says, Dude, you don't know what you're asking for, man. You might have to start our uh, only fans page or something. Joe, and we, can go, <laughs> we can go on that, dude. <laughs> they got to pay for that content. Well, and, and one thing I wanted to, I, that I wanted to pay, I wanted to pay homage to Greg is that, See, he says they only get drawn for that tag in Arizona about every seven to nine years. Oh, wow. And he said that the last time that he got drawn, his dad passed away just before the hunt. Yeah. And so, that. yeah. And so he got it done this time. And, you know, he said it was really tough, you know, thinking about his dad. But sure. how cool is that is that he was. And he said getting a, an elk with with archery equipment was my bucket list. And so. Mm-hmm. Dude, you're gonna have to you have to fill up that bucket and do something new. So yeah, man. he said, I just wanted you to know, guys, that what you guys do is so important and it makes a difference. He said it made a difference to me. Thanks, Greg. We appreciate it, brother. Hey, congrats. Yeah. Congrats. Congratulations, buddy. And then Steve Puckett out of Frankfurt for Kentucky. And he he said a thing he said, the real Flatlanders. He got it done solo at 12,100. So the boy uh, was way up there. On top. Stay awake, Louise. Stay awake, man. I, I didn't even know they could go 12,100 feet in Kentucky. <laughs> He must have drank some of that good Kentucky bourbon. No, 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 dude. He wasn't in Kentucky, bro. He was, he was in Colorado. Uh, yeah, that's what you call getting high in, call, in Kentucky, yeah. right? Hell yeah. That's what they need. They need a bourbon called 12,000 foot, right? 
I like <laughs> oh, yeah. it, Joe. Let's go ahead and just market it. Hey, that sounds like a name, man. Chad Ashen, buddy, Chad. 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 Man. Uh, well done, brother. And one thing that most people know is Chad got COVID. Wow. And it, it, it whacked him at the beginning of the season. And he goes out, and he had seen a herd bull with a certain amount of cows. Goes back out later in the season, finds the same herd bull with like 50 cows now. And wow. uh, and he's he's like chasing this herd bull, and this other bull walks out in front of him. And he's like, yep. Not discriminating. Yeah, it's like not discriminating, man. Hey, no, we are equal opportunity elk hunters. Equal yeah. <laughs> Nick out of Chicago, Illinois, first elk hunt gets it done. Oh, here's some names too. You might remember Bob Rothrock yeah. out of Louisville, Kentucky. Jason Dolash out of Iowa. Remember, they were the group of four guys. There was Jason and Dean and Dan and Bob that were together. Those were the guys that... Uh, sent us the trapezine caramels. Oh yeah, yeah, man. We went through those at yeah. that campfire. Oh, <laughs> like there's no tomorrow, <laughs> man. They never was so good. I actually found one in my my pants pocket. That yeah, I had. you were probably stashing <laughs> them away. The That's where they <laughs> went. Day, yeah, man. now we know. <laughs> I found one in my pants pocket and I ate it just the other day. Right? I should have took. I should have took me a picture. Yeah, y'all didn't know I was sneaking them suckers up in the mountain with me, dude. Oh, dude. <laughs> kept me rolling. Oh, I can see that they're like, "Ooh, what's this?" Yeah, <laughs> my wife was like, "What is that?" I said, man, "It's a caramel. You can't have that. That's for me." Oh man! <laughs> oh, you're too much, dude. <laughs> well, hey, Bob, man, they, those guys got it done. Some beautiful bulls. I'm pumped for them. Awesome. Stephen Richardson out of Springdale, Arkansas. He said, "Thanks to the base camp course." He is now part of the 10% club. It's yeah. his third elk hunt, and it took him finally. He got it done. So, so cool. um, Alex Claudel out of Hume, Missouri, second year of elk hunting, and he scores in his second year. Nice. Uh, Tyler Elston out of Utah. Justin yeah. Gotham, who I out of Maupin, Oregon, that I just got off the phone with the other day to congratulate him. Shot him a, 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 a I think it was, it looked like a spike. It might have had a couple things on there but it looked like a spike bull that that he shot out there so i was real excited for for uh justin to get it done ben thomas out of utah last year ben it was his first hunt got it done he he's the one that's kept sending a lot of questions to us and, sure. and asking about you know calls and the difference between some of the calls is now two for two ben ben is he's on the uh he's on the manano grateron plan streak. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah <laughs> he's streaking already joe <laughs> and oh and i had to put it in there i don't know if y'all Absolutely. saw but the elk singer tony winship and his brother man both they just went and you know it's tradition in that family got to go get it done and they did they knocked it Straight out, out of elk camp tony winship comes in with a nice bull hey man he just doesn't sing it he walks exactly. walk he and I've, I've been listening i've got i've got his songs on my on my little deal in my car and just been listening to him so yeah and, you know stuff. joe I, I tell you I, I listen to oh a bunch of our podcasts and stuff like that and the music work on the back end of it on our youtube's fantastic so really good job oh well you know that's the easy part he does the singing we just got to patch him in and yeah and it's just so cool to have that to finish each show with him sure. doing that and, it, sure. you know, it's funny because it, it goes to black and it just shows a picture of Tony. 
Mm-hmm. And dude, you just sit there and, and you hear those words and it takes you back. It's really Definitely. cool. It's really cool. Definitely. Well, you guys know what time it is. It's time for the Elk Bros. Shout out. Shout out. Shout out to a few cities <laughs> with the most listeners. Topping our charts this week, Joe. Yep. First up, we got a message from our grinder, Colton, that wanted us to give a shout out to the only, and, and this is cool because it's unique. And a lot of people say, you know, we don't give any love here. And I, and I, that's why I wanted to make sure it was here to the only specialty muzzle loader store in all of Washington and to owner Billy. So here's a big elk bro shout out to the muzzle loader supply out of Palyup, Washington. Colton says it's a great place to get supplies and the owner Billy is super helpful and knowledgeable. So if you're a muzzle loader in any part of that coast over there, go check out the muzzle loader supply out of Palyup. Grinder approved. Grinder approved. Oh, and let's give some, we've been gone a while and we've got some Apple reviews. Um, and, uh, and guys, man, thank you so much for all y'all that give us the five star reviews. Thank yes. you guys. If you give us a four, three, two, well, I'm not going to thank you if you gave us one. Well, okay. <laughs> thank you too. If you gave us a one, <laughs> if you gave us a one, I might have one for you. <laughs> don't listen to him man don't listen to him uh justin gotham from mopping oregon you guys are awesome and as real as it gets landall 89 said he would give us 10 stars if it was an option dude Landel, you keep giving those reviews, man. Yeah, love just those, just give us those those five at a time that's all yeah. good <laughs> bitch yeah. uh Nolo602 from Phoenix, Arizona is a new listener, and he's been binging all the way back to 2019. Sweet. And, but you got to be careful doing that, man. I mean, you binge too much of us too, too long. Uh, you know, Surgeon General has warned. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, our first, our first viewer. Whew, buddy, we have evolved, no doubt. But listen, you know, those first few, some of them, like our, our shot placement podcast and everything, that's freaking epic. You know, They're still some of the best we've ever done. I, I, I love our, our first podcast because it was our beginning. And, yeah, you know, yeah. And there's a lot of things that we started that we found, like, when we started doing these shout outs to cities, it just kind of happened by accident. And those first ones, and, you know, it just built on. Remember, it was, uh, we did something like that. And I said, it sounded like hee haw. And so, you know, (laughs) BR549. Yeah. Yeah. Maxwell, New Mexico. And that was one of the reasons. My wife is from Maxwell, New Mexico. And Hee Haw, the television show with Buck Owens and Roy Clark, did a shout out to Maxwell, New Mexico population, whatever it was there, 600 or something like. What do you think the population was, Chav, at Maxwell? Maybe 200. Really? Not, wow. not too much. Yeah. 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 So that, that was, and for that town, it, it, it really was something personal. So that's one of the reasons we started doing that kind of goes all the way back to hee-haw fish hound fish hound says too much jabber, but he gave us three stars. Sweet. So, Sweet <laughs> yeah. Man. You can, you can scroll through the first 45 minutes there fish hound. Yeah. Well, <laughs> like, like I said, you know, with that ain't uh, going away, brother. Like I said, you know, we are who we are. Um, And he's spot on. You know, we do all this stuff at the beginning. Uh, We like to pay tribute to our listeners in in so many different ways. So, 
we do it. And uh, we, we hope you start listening to this part there, Fishhound. We hope you're hearing it here. Boss Haas, finally, teachers for elk hunting. He said he's going to make it happen this year. And then we had Desmo Durr called us the encyclopedia of elk knowledge. He got and, that right. Um, wow. Say that louder for all the people in the back to hear, brother. <laughs> <laughs> R.C. Vogel um, said that he doesn't really listen to podcasts, but he said this is like sitting around the table with us. And That's what we really like. We like sitting around the campfire and mm-hmm. man. Randy took our info into the field and called in three bulls. Two came in silent, one screaming, so he took the third one home. That's awesome. Yeah, oh, that was you gotta get one. rid of the screaming one, you know. Yeah. We don't want none of that around. Yeah, yeah man. Yeah, we can't be educating them. Thin those ones out real quick, right? Yeah. Isn't that what Cole Wilkes says? It says, uh, um, I I don't always Kill a bull. Yeah, I don't know. What I do, it's a dumb one. It's a a dumb dumb one. one. (laughs) (laughs) That's T-shirt material. Don't y'all take that away from Cole. He's already trademarked it. (laughs) Yeah. JP out of Morgan, Tennessee. I was going to say JP Morgan. JP Morgan, yeah. (laughs) Out of Morgan, Tennessee, used our tips and tactics to take a Colorado OTC 6x6. JP. Send photos. Yes. We want to see it. JP Morgan. Let's go, buddy. (laughs) And now that we're getting back rolling again, guys, remember, Grinders, if you want to be part of our show, you can send us a 15 to 20 second second shout out video. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, George, you got to remember we're rated PG 13 over here, okay? (laughs) I mean, we're we're just talking about the unleashed thing here. Just hold your horse. I could have went way off the (laughs) road. Look, you know me tell you what's really tough about doing <laughs> what we do is we always use the word shot. And right. whenever you're texting that, my thumbs, the I and the O are right real close together. together. Yeah. And it's called subconscious. <laughs> <laughs> and then you look back what you're telling somebody like, oh, crap, man. I said, <laughs> I said, crap. Yep. Yeah. So if you want to be part of the show, you can send a 15 to 20 second shout out video through a message on our elk bros instagram email you can send it to me or any of the other bros that you have a clip and you can just email that to us or we'll give you a link so you can send it to our dropbox now for the top listening cities chav here we go okay uh and just to add to what you were just talking about sending messages uh send your photos to uh joe also and we'll put them on our wall of honor uh, on the uh, elkbros.com site Okay, top listening city. This top listening city was named after the first merchant located in the present location. Nicknamed the key city of the high desert and the heart of Oregon, it was founded in 1877. Since it was bypassed by the railroad, they built the country's first and only municipally owned railroad and flourished from there. Also, if disaster movies are your thing, This city lies right on top of a dormant volcano, the Crooked River Caldera. And this is uh, Prineville, Oregon. Prineville, Oregon. Prineville, Oregon. Yeah, why do you act like it's the first time you saw that, man? <laughs> I, yeah. He, he writes all these things. It was kind of moving on me. <laughs> <laughs> He's got one of them computers, got a mind of its own, Joe. Oh, yeah. I see. Yeah. like mine. 
Yeah, what's interesting, what's interesting about the dormant volcano is one of the best El Cantin places in New Mexico is uh, uh, on another caldera. Yeah, yeah it's, it's the Valle Caldera. The right. Valle Caldera, and that's a, an amazing place. Yeah, there's another there's another one over in Capulin that's pretty good El Cantin, too. That's a oh, volcano. Really? Yeah, that's a volcano. Yeah. Oh, the volcano area over there. Mm-hmm. But that, that caldera is a volcano that collapses inside itself. So it's, it's a huge valley, yeah. Yeah, it makes a huge mm-hmm. and you can drive by that on, on the highway. It's on the south end of the caldera, the highway that's going to Hamas. And you look out there, people drive by it thinking that that's cattle out there. It's wow. not it's elk, yeah. It's elk. Wow. It's elk. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it, it also borders the the uh, national labs where the atomic bomb was uh, invented, I guess. Oh, wow. So there's a lot of land that is not accessible to anybody except elk. So, <laughs> And they're doing <laughs> just fine. Yeah, prime elk country. Cool. Up next, guys, this city is a suburb of Chicago and is 25 miles from the city's downtown. It's known for the Arlington Park Racetrack, home of Arlington of the Arlington Million, a Breeders' Cup qualifying event. Nicknames include Action Heights and the City of Good Neighbors. The movie Nightmare on Elm Street with Freddy Krueger was filmed here at a local public school, John Hersey High School in Arlington Heights, Illinois. Arlington Heights. Heights. So I wonder how many, you know, people remember Freddy Krueger movies. Oh, I mean, man, that was <laughs> still on, isn't it? Horrible. <laughs> it's horrible. Yep. Worse, I'm telling you, I can't watch those movies. It stirs my yeah, spirit the like... wrong way. Can't have it. <laughs> you scared I don't the... like spooks movies. No, no. None of them spirit movies. None of that Exorcist. No Freddy Krueger. Amityville Horror. No, none of that. No. Jason. <laughs> Can't do it, won't watch it. Negative. That's hilarious, dude. Negative. You know, I, 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 you know, I've never been a fan of of Nightmare on Elm Street just because. No, Jason, either. Yeah, well, it's because, you, you know, you never win. It's like they always show up again. You know what I mean? It's like you get yeah. rid of them and they're, they're back, you know, yeah, like, even yeah. at the end, even at the end, they no just doubt. left you like shot unfinished business. And he's yeah, still coming right. back. Yeah. Chopped his head off and it grew back. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> this city in Colorado was named after a similarly named city in Pennsylvania. It became one of the most important coal towns in Colorado. In its early days, it was one of the only wet towns in the area with well over 11 bars on one street in 1872. Floods in 1890, 1921, and 1972 devastated the town, but it was hit even harder by the eventual decline in coal output. The final mine, the Eagle Mine, closed in 1978, and that's in none other than Erie, Colorado. Talking about spooky stuff, eerie, eerie. <laughs> yeah, it just followed right after Nightmare on Elm Street, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it maybe, maybe you know, Freddie could show up there. But how cool is it that you had a school that they filmed that in, though? I mean, that part's pretty daggone cool. Yeah, yeah it shows it to be just north of Denver, there, Joe. Not even to just north of Lafayette and Broomfield, there. So it's not huh. too far from Denver. Huh? Well, that's 
Erie, I, you know, um, yeah. I, I feel because a lot of those coal towns, Raton here, Raton, New Mexico is one of those towns that oh, really? the coal mine shut down. It just devastates those towns, you know. Yeah. So, yep. Next up, this city is recognized as the resort area for Southwest Ohio. <clears throat> Kings Island Amusement Park, Great Wolf Lodge and Conference Center, and the Golf Center at Kings Island are among the prominent recreational destinations. Also, if you are a tennis lover, uh, it has the largest tennis stadium in the world. Wow. The Linder, the Lindner Family Tennis Center. Home of the Western and Southern Open, which is one of the world's top tennis tournaments in Mason, Ohio. Mason, Mason Ohio. Mason. That, you know, you hear, it's so cool to hear these things like we found out about Minnesota with the curling member like that. So different places that that uh, oh, it was a place in Florida that had the the horse tracks that it was so famous for there. So, I mean, it's really neat to hear that. I had no idea that it was uh, the largest tennis stadium in the world. Mason, Ohio, thank you guys for listening. Up next, cattle and oil have traditionally been the primary industries for this area. The nearby Wardale Buffalo Trap is a canyon that was used by the Native American to trap bisons. Its potential archaeological value led to its listing on the National Register of Historical Places. Nickname of this city include Icebox of the Nation and Best People on the Earth. It has one of the coolest temperatures among inhabited locations in the lower 48. It was named after the pines along the banks of the similarly named creek, Big Pine, Wyoming. Big Pine! Or Wyoming in the house. That's one place I'd really like to try to hunt elk is out in Wyoming. I just, uh, uh, you know, you see the vastness of Wyoming and the beauty of it. And so it would just be, I mean, the fishing there is incredible as well. I just, Grizzly bears. Yellow tone. Grizzly, <laughs> bears. grizzly bears. Yeah. I'm out. I don't do grizzly bears, Joe. I don't do grizzly. I don't do grease. Maybe Arizona or Utah. So Joe, is this a, you were, uh, you were talking about, listening cities are we uh over eight thousand now yes sir um it's it's so funny i can it just seems like we jumped right over seven because yeah. I, I can remember like celebrating that we 5, had uh, over six thousand uh list you know cities listening <clears throat> you know listeners in cities and now we have listeners in over 8,000 U.S. cities, and I think we're up to 78 or 79 countries. The countries are growing here as well. Uh want to thank everybody out there. That is just, it's phenomenal, and um, it's very, very humbling, you know, and For when sure. we get these success stories from people in North Carolina and mm-hmm. Arizona and That's Illinois. That's the best. Yeah. Man, in, in our, you know, our Insta, our, you know, our, our gram page has been blowing up with pictures. And I mean, it's been crazy, Joe. Uh, our followers went through the roof and us following people. It's been really cool to see that, you know, our followers on YouTube are really uh, coming along. It's been awesome. So got to thank all of our listeners and all of our grinders out there for showing your love for us, for sure. Well, there were even people that didn't draw this year or people that had a hunt planned 
um, and things came up and they couldn't be there. And we'd get emails that, you know, hey, you know, thanks for having something for us to listen to week to week. We're living vicariously through you guys. So, you know, they said, thank you for, you know, uh, keeping. We know how you feel, brother. We've been living that way because Joe's been hunting the whole time. <laughs> Dog. Yeah, it's it's you know that's one Don't thing. Don't let him think that it's really a lot of work and everything because Joe loves it anyhow. <laughs> well, you know what's so cool is is everybody saw my new bow that I got this year. The nut level. And and I and and the And you my, shoot it good, Joe. The buddy that bought me that, I got to guide him and he was you know last year um, he, he killed he, an absolute giant, a, giant bull. Yeah, we we called in a bunch of bulls that day and brought in a, a three forty three bull to twenty seven yards, and he got it done. Um, he he always manages to make the the you know the track a little interesting, but (laughs) (laughs) but we got it done, man. So Joe, let me, I wanted to ask you a question about that bull. That bull was dead, dead bull. As soon as he shot him, huh? He just thought he might've made it a little lower. Do you think it took him a while to die? You know, that's just the thing though. It was, the shot was a little back. It was right at the level. It should have been. It was a little back. I still think he either got both lungs or he got one lung and, and liver. So, um, Definitely did the right thing. Absolutely. So anytime you have minimal blood and you have a hit that you're not positive of, I back out, man. And never heard him go down or saw him go down or anything like that. In fact, on the tracking job, when we tracked that thing, there were about five specks of blood. There were three at the beginning and I found two towards the end and uh, we were following. um, I found, I found two drips of water. Mm -hmm. What's that? Did he get two holes, Joe? Um, he did, it was a pass through, but, but but the problem is when you get that low pass through Mm -hmm. and it, sometimes that, that area, if, especially if it is gut, um, you get the internals that can slide there, seal it, Mm -hmm. plug that up. And then the only blood you get is almost like cutting yourself. You know what I mean? Like shaving. So, um, followed a couple of water droplets and track and, um, you know, it was only 145 yards. So backing out was good. He, he went down, laid down and died. So, uh, we didn't have to worry about having to grid this time. So it was cool. That was awesome. awesome so tonight, the topic of tonight's show, and this is what everybody's coming to listen to right now is we are, you know, archery elk hunting, Colorado, OTC, OTC. you know, what worked for, and this is the elk bros because y'all, and I I want to go ahead and put this out right away at the beginning is that we were hunting in one, well, we hunted, yeah, it was one unit, one part of a unit in the, in a large state um, that has a lot of things happening in it. So this is our view from our little microcosm there, man. It, yeah. It's not like we know everything that was going on in the state. Um, but I can tell you this, some of the things that we were going through, you know, I have a lot of buddies all over the place. A lot of people were going through these things. So yeah. um, we're going to talk about what worked for us, what didn't work for us, lessons learned, insights, and thoughts. So Um, and I, and all of us had been thinking about some of these things and, um, I don't know where you guys want to start. You want to start on what worked, what didn't work. Sure. Sure. Yeah. What worked. Okay. Let's, let's talk about what worked and what didn't work for us. Um, because I really think, and, 
and you know, I heard this from people that you guys only hunt in New Mexico. You know, you get out of New Mexico, it's going to be a different story. You're going to have trouble being successful. You know, you're going to go someplace where there's, you know, there's the most elk in the country, but there's also the most elk hunters in the country. And, and I got to say that too, is that, you know, OTC tags are kind of a blessing and a curse. They're a blessing mm-hmm. in that people get to go elk hunting. They're a curse in yeah. that there's a ton of elk hunters out there. But that just because there are numbers doesn't mean that everybody's in the game, you know. And True. <laughs> there's, you know, we were places where we saw camp after camp after camp. And let me tell you this. Here's another way I feel about it. It is so cool in September to see so many people out there enjoying the outdoors. You bet, yeah. man. Enjoying it and, and good people too, man. Absolutely. You know, I got to say yes. that, Joe, we encountered a lot of people and all of them in Colorado were good folks, man. And look, they were from all over the country, not just there in Colorado, but from all of, we, we saw some boys from Texas. We saw a couple from Georgia. We saw, you know, I mean, just from all Louisiana, over. Louisiana, yeah. Everybody we bumped into uh, at camp areas or on the mountains, great people. Very it's good. just yeah. no, there was no exception. Uh, for at least for in my experience, the people I bumped into, there's no for exception sure. there. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, had, yeah. Good, had good experiences, even though they were disrupting sometimes, but they were <laughs> real good experiences. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, and and it, it depends on how everybody takes it, right? It's public land. Look, we're you used know. to that, though, Jim. Uh-huh. I mean, absolutely, we're used to having you know, having people in our set or calling hunters in or vice versa. I mean, that's part of it, but look what, what I think really led us off to what worked for us. And I, I gotta say this, you know, I, you helped me long ago about talking about how I would break a new lake down, going and fishing it and stuff like that. That really helped me tremendously hone into what we needed to do as elk hunters, where we were in a new place. But it would have never happened without the e-scouting and the boots on the ground that Joe and RC and the Flatlander Cole Wilkes went and did beforehand. <clears throat> we And listen, not just in one place, but in three or four different places, you know, we actually set up camp on the other side of the moon and then in, on opening day decide to go to the other side of the moon and hunt that day and then forego our afternoon after everybody was in elk and forego that afternoon and go back and move camp in less than an hour and come back. But that would have never, ever happened, Joe, unless you guys and and ourselves too. I mean, we all helped out with the e-scouting part of looking at the way the land laid out, everything else. But I mean, we used our base maps, we used Onyx and we used fat maps and all of that stuff, not only to pre-plan, but also while we were, you know, dynamically working in, in the elk woods as well. So when you ask what worked, it all started off of all of our pre-planning and our, and our planning while we were, while we were hunting, being able to make adjustments on the fly. That's what made us so, uh, so successful and versatile in the hunt. And, and that number one, I got to give you, uh, the, the shout out for that because you knew we needed to be versatile, you know, in your podcast, you just put out here this last week, you talked about having to find areas to be versatile. The, because The east scouting yeah. and the boots on the ground uh, pre-work that took place, right? 
unbelievable. And and you knew we needed to do that because we had hunters from all walks. We had Chav that was, you know, that was going to need to 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 have a specialized program. Myself, I need to be able to get to the top because I hate walking from the bottom. But at, at the end of the day, you you looked at all of that and made the best decision for our group. Right. as a whole not just out of what joe Gillio could do or cole or the mafia or anybody else but as a group you know uh we were able to be successful in doing what we do best right, right? and that is attacking an area going in there and figuring things out as quick as we can and sharing information what mm-hmm. worked we shared information and didn't covet things from one another and tight hole one another and stuff like that which means holding information back, and, right? You know, it's funny because I've heard that mentioned a few times, but that's never even been a thought with me, with our group. That's never, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe maybe from people from other camps, and camps, but I mean, we've oh, never, a lot. yeah, we've no. never been that way. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it, and, and that was the type thing, you know? Agree, and that was the plan from day one. We were going to scatter, mm-hmm. gather information and make decisions based on that. You know, yeah. I remember that first day that after the first morning when we all met, yeah. I was like, I had it all tracked on my phone. I'm like, Joe, yeah. everything on that track had yeah. signed. Uh-huh. <laughs> so <Yeah>. we're good <laughs> anywhere on those tracks. I mean, we got a good sign. And, and so that's what sprung the final, you know, that plus everybody else's experiences that morning is what drove the decision for us to move yeah. camp. Exactly. And look, Brendan and myself and RC got lost as a goose because we'd never been there before, never knew what the road system looked like or anything like that. So kind of got lost as a goose. And by the time we got over there. What does there, that mean, bro? Was, lost as a goose. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to, I was trying to picture Beto. the goose and just flying. I just, oh, I'm not goose. getting it. They don't get lost, Beto. Like a goose, man. So we were lost, man. And, and I say lost. We knew where we wanted to go, but we couldn't find a daggum road to go to it, you know? So finally we see a little bit of old, you know, crab trap road that runs off to the right hand side. We get in there and it's, you know, it's done come up daylight, you know? So we feel like we're late anyway. And then look, brother, that's some of the biggest country I've ever hunted. And there ain't no place but up, son. And uh, we hit it, <laughs> went up there and got up there to that Aspen Park. And I mean, we ain't even made it 300 yards in there in our cow call and a bull comes in running in silent right? And we can hear him coming in, you know? So, I mean, it was on from the get-go. We saw elk that morning, had two encounters, you know, and we were like... Manano and I saw saw elk every day. Every day. Talking about actually physically seeing them. We saw them every day. They were quiet they went silent 100%. not at first bro i want you to oh, exactly the three days that very first day we heard bugles right off the bat yeah. remember yeah. manano the right bro, off the they day. weren't pressured that day i mean the, yeah. it was the, the first three days, first first day. awesome. yeah they the first talk. three days it was it was not it was pressure and it was weather we had that cool weather and then yes. after that it turned really hot Ooh. um because i still and don't more think people kept coming but I, but I that really, I'm so, I still don't, I think if there was pressure, it was us because I did not see a lot of dudes out there in the middle of nowhere. Honestly, I mean, like. Well, no doubt where we uh, were, wasn't yeah. a whole lot of people. No, there wasn't a whole lot of people. I think in all it's hard as hell time, to get there. 
I, I saw two hunters in that entire time, you know, off of the beaten path. One of them had set up a blind on a wallow and mm -hmm. which I was real proud of this guy. Cause I mean, this gentleman was an elderly gentleman and had carried all kinds of stuff to set this up. And it's, and I'm telling you, it's off elaborate the path, man. <laughs> and then the other guy who we called in twice, um, <laughs> but you know, that was the only ones really that we saw out we, there. Manano and yeah, I well, we, we, we bumped into we bumped into at least four four or five hunters. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, uh, no more. And, and actually, the first the first people we bumped into is actually a family. A, a family from Florida. Yeah, so kudos yeah, to that head. family. It was awesome seeing yeah. that mom and son mm -hmm. hunting together up in the mountains. Backpacking. She was Yeah. Yeah, hardcoring it. That's the, uh, I don't know if I can pronounce their, their last name properly, but it's the Diefenbach, uh, Diefenbach family. So. But to yeah. me, when you, when you, when you go into like, five people that are hunting together. I consider that one hunter encounter because they're together. It's not like, yeah, yeah. but, you know, but we saw probably me, five. Let me tell then, you, Joe, what, what about the scent? I mean, three guys, four guys hunt together. I mean, it's not one hunter. You're just talking I about mean, encounters of encountering people. Yeah. but it, yeah, It's uh, one group though. It's not yeah. just one hunter. Right. And, yeah, they're, and, and the yeah, scent, they're yeah. leaving stuff behind in the woods and everything like that. But I, mm -hmm. I just, you know, I did not see any more hunting pressure there. In fact, I saw less hunting pressure there than I see at home where I hunt. Really? Yeah. I, I mean, well, we're I, lucky because we're removed from that a little bit, right? Uh, where we were, if you, I mean, when you drive out of camp and there's 30 camps right down the road from you, that's a lot, you know, yeah. but we're removed well, a little bit from that. Okay. Well, because so, the area is so dang big, man. And, for sure. and, and so let's, let's talk about, you know, when you talked about, things that worked and didn't work. You yep. talked about the e-scouting. Well, I want to bring up the other worked. side of it is that if all you did was e-scouting, or even if all you were doing was looking at your um, base map or your Onyx or whatever, it lies to you, man, because you get in this country where we're at and, and it was incredible. These like bowls that existed in yeah. it, and you could never know that they existed uh, except they for little satellite views, big. satellite views made them look like a bunch of little meadows. Yeah, but when you were going in them, you were going yards. up and down, yeah, up but and down like over that, you know? crap, all kinds of deadfalls yeah. and yeah. you name it. Thank God it had mulberries and all kinds of so, other berries up here. So here, the, the thing that I'm seeing is, is, is like when you look at the top topography on some of those maps, it, you know, you can see where, okay, it's showing a topo line and it looks like everything's kind of smooth sailing to a point and then it goes up and you expect it to be steep. But what you don't see is in that smooth sailing is, is there's a little crevice here. There's a little yeah. this there. It, yeah. it doesn't show you that kind of detail. So you really have no clue what that area actually feels like and looks like unless you, you get boots on the ground. ground. Yep. And I mean, you can have a general idea of where it's really going to get steep. Yeah. Because of the grade. Mm -hmm. right that's or, where that fat map really came in help oh. me and rc to find where we bailed off of places uh, instead of going straight down them benches you could see where those those fingers would run out and you could just run down those side of those benches instead of going straight up them and and we really didn't figure that out till 
later on in the hunt, you know. What's cool about Fat Map too is is that you can actually like you were talking about that when you look at those those gradients on there and it colors it blue and stuff you can actually find the best route to go from one yes. to another without feeling like you're dropping off the daggone wall there i mean <laughs> and and what was cool was i'm going to show it sometime but i found a hole in an area simply by using fatmap that nobody thought they could get into but by using fatmap i was able to see uh, exactly. the color aspects that actually led me to get into a secret pass, basically to get mm-hmm. into this area that most people didn't have. They don't know it exists and uh, went into there. Not a soul was there. So that was great. So that's one thing. The e-scouting was good on what worked, but what doesn't work is it really doesn't give you that. That's why I'm telling you boots on the ground mean a lot. Um, yeah. like you said, Gilbert also, sometimes the trail systems and the roads lie to you no doubt uh, yeah, they weren't they were non-existent on our a lot of our mapping mm-hmm, and right boy i'm gonna tell you right now if if you can do anything to help yourself and understanding where to where those travel corridors off those ridges are if there are trails that you can travel with an atv or a utv you really cut down the miles on your feet and also be able to retrieve your animals too by being able to use those and uh and get in and out of there undetected man and And another thing man is that we all have base map but i guarantee you almost all of us have uh fat map and almost all of us have onyx because we use multiple resources and guys I'm, i'm just telling you if i want you to take a look at what you spent in gas alone to get you know, a, a certain, or in one meal or what you spend for one jacket. And I'm just telling you, man, to get those resources, those different map ones, I would buy Onyx. I would buy uh, base map. I would buy oh. fat map because like when you looked in some areas at, at Onyx, it was like a snow picture and you would look yeah. at it in base yeah. map or the green yeah, that was- yeah. And you'd look at, I mean, every picture would give you it a little different detail. One would give you better road systems than the other one yeah. would. It, it's- I stayed up three hours one night knowing that I had to get up early the next morning, but also knew if I found a route up to the top of that ridge, I wasn't going to have to start at the bottom. And, and you find it. You found it, right? I did. And yeah. I marked it with my little deal. And I told RC, we're going to that ridge. And we started in and man, and knew we were going to be in them early because we could get there. We parked about probably three quarters of a mile where we wanted to start, and we we parked the bike there, and we, and it was pretty. I won't say flat; it was still uphill some, but not like not like that, you know, where you're yeah. coming up from a lot of them. And we but, we but struck think- out there on that morning and 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 got on those elk at at first light you know yeah and was on them you know and had an encounter where we called some bulls in and i mean it just meant the world to me to be able to find out how efficiently and look like i said man i'm not as i'm not as agile as some of these guys so being able to use that road system to get me to them is a big deal but i i, I want to ask you a question gilbert mm-hmm. on the day that you shot your bull mm-hmm. Where did you guys start from? From the dead bottom, brother. Okay, so There's that, no doubt. But so look, Paul, Paul I and I asked the boys. I went in as deep as I could. But <laughs> I, and, and so that's why I wanted to bring this up because I really – Cole Wilkes and I were just up in that area just, you know, the other day. Yeah. And, and when we were up in there, I, I looked at Cole and I said, you know what? I got to give it to Gilbert, dude. 
because that fella got up here and got it done and and it it's not i mean it is it what, how's how's gilbert put it it's a what it's a hike it's, it's a, a hike <laughs> it's a hike brother and it's, it's dirty i mean dirt. brendan was cussing me as we cooked. you know he had a bad wheel anyway it's, it's up both ridiculous, ways big o. this is horrible man what are we doing here i said well we can't kill him standing there looking up son we're you know going- we were the, the morning before <laughs> i we were there I give you a hard yeah. time, dude, because sometimes, you know, there's certain hills I do. And, and when you get done talking about them, they're like mountains and this and that. Uh, but, dude, you went up, man. You made it happen on that day because that, that well, was And we did it the last day, too, from the other side we came from the other <laughs> side, which is even steeper, you know. So, man, look, like I said, I, you know, I'm going to – while I'm there, I'm going to push it as hard as Absolutely. I can go. That was know? cool. But but if I can find an easier route to get me there, man, I got a lot more in the tank if I ain't got to expend it all by eight o'clock. You know what I mean? Well, that's so. the thing, too, is is people remember that if you're hunting to if you're hunting and you're going by the wind, you can end up in places that you yeah. never thought. If you just put your head down to go to some place, it becomes work and you end up passing out. And so, you know, to get out there and hunt your way to it. Yeah, we hunted our whole way, man. Absolutely. And then look, uh, the, these guys know I got one speed. It's low gear, four-wheel drive. <laughs> Only There's one speed. Speed, But I'm going to get there, man. And, and look. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to segue us, man. I'm going to segue okay, us man. to strategies because I had somebody that came up and, and they asked us, and this is what I was hearing from people is that, yeah, elk were talking for the first three days and then it went quiet. And yet you guys were successful. And they were like, how did you overcome the quietness so elk bros do what we do we didn't change that right now we adapt adapt to it so let's talk about since we have the the mafia here that both these guys killed out let's talk about what worked for you guys how did you guys overcome the quietness we're uh we realized pretty quick after the second day they were pressed pressed and then, then they were you know, going up, but they were silent. So uh, after the first, after the second day, I said, Luis, hey, uh, let's go to the wood really, really slow. Let's, you know, walk and let's call call from time to time and let's stop just to hear the woods. And, uh, but Manana, and uh, let me ask you a question, though, because it, this is real critical because you said let's work less slow. You wouldn't have done that if you didn't feel like there were elk in the area, though. You no, know we, we saw sign. Yeah. Okay. So we you were seeing fresh sign, sign right? Yeah. Uh, yes. Yes. But they were silent. Like they were quiet. Yeah. So. so so let me back up a little bit because the first two or three days, um, you know, with the first day we heard him bugle. Mm-hmm. The, right. the following it, day. It wasn't following, a bunch of bugles. It was just. A few, yeah, you know, correct. A few. But but that first day we had when we got to a certain altitude, we had a lot of encounters. We had about two to three encounters, kind of within the same area. Um, uh, I was calling in a bull for Monano who winded us because the wind changed on us. Then I was there was another group of, of and, elk, and he, and he was coming. I saw him at yeah. uh, thirty yeah. yards. And then there was another group of elk, and and I tried to call those back because they we spooked them. And then when I was trying to call them back, I got another younger elk bull coming from behind me who, when I try to turn, he spooked. So, I mean, we were, 
in elk. We were in elk. Um, because the, when the, I went with you, I think on, it was three days or four days later, they were still bugling because we had some bugling that day. Yeah, we had some. And then so, uh, but, but again, most of the encounters that we had we're on the first few days were happening because of the calling and because we knew we were in areas where elk were at certain altitudes. So when you right? say because of the calling, what kind of calling, Luis? So as we were walking about, we were cow calling mm -hmm. and, you know, we were, there were some areas that were really hard to navigate and we were making a lot of noise. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we, we happened to spook a lot of elk. So thus the reason why we transitioned to when Manano is like, man, you know, it seems like we're spooking a lot of elk. What if we just go quiet? And then, you know, just go very silently and stop and listen and to just walk a little bit and stop and listen and just listen to the woods. And I said, okay, well, I'm, I'm down for that strategy. Going totally um, silent, no calling, just totally silent, no calling for the first half of the day. Yes. So like yeah, whitetail yeah. hunting, basically. Right. True. Yes. For the first, for the, for the first half. We, we of, call a little bit, just a not in the, bit. not that morning, because we said that morning, well, we're going to try without, and then. I grew impatient by half of the day. I'm like, dude, I get it that we need to be quiet, yeah. but you know, we need to, we need to call and man, I'll be damned if I <laughs> threw a cow call and immediately a cow responds right above us, turns around and runs away. And they were right there. And uh, so we're like, man, so at least we heard something. And so that's when we were like, okay, what if we just kind of combine this and then say, Let's try to walk really slow. Cow call when we make noises yeah. um, to try to avoid spooking stuff. And That's then every so often stop mm -hmm. and then listen and, and, then, and then go from there. Because we knew at that point that they had stopped talking. So it was more trying because it happened to us a few times where we would be calling and they will come in running. Yeah. towards us without making a sound except for running so Manana was able to hear them coming from far away i wasn't and sometimes we weren't ready for when they were coming right mm -hmm. so that's how we kind of transition into okay let's let's do this and see how it works well a point and, i want to make to our listeners though that is important to remember and and i i've watched y'all style and what you're doing and i understand exactly what i mean so it it's like I said, it's the same thing that we use back home, but whenever you are cow calling and you're making noise when you're walking, that noise actually sells the cow call as well because yeah, yeah, heard noise. Mm -hmm. now what the, what needed to happen and where Manano really came in huge was, well, when you were walking and making the noise and cow calling that sold the call to bring animals into you. But when you stopped and having the ability just to be quiet mm -hmm. and, and let those animals catch up to you and hear mm -hmm. them coming in, because Manano was an incredibly patient and had the ability to go, no, no, wait, they're still there. They're still coming. When a lot of times you would have thought, oh, they're gone, you know, gone. and he's like, yeah. no, no, he could hear them. He could hear them. They're there. They're coming. Yeah. Be patient. <laughs> and it was so cool that Manano was, was like, be patient. You know, they're still coming. And mm -hmm. sure enough, eventually they would show up, you know, that was, yeah. that was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that, that worked for RC and I as well. I mean, we just weren't patient enough at times, which was what happened. I mean, we called that bull in and might've called him in, in the first big park we were in and he just kept coming. Cause he kept hurt here in the herd well, moving. 
you know, Joe? A strategy, bro, because since yeah. we were talking about that, you know, and so what Luisa Manano were doing, we're moving through yeah. area that they knew there was elk. They were yep. cow calling at times. And and you threw some bugles out every now and then too, right? Yes. 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 As a matter of fact, yeah. that's how we located Mabu on and, day and, six. And, and what about the first the first cow we met? Uh that you shot? No, no, no. The the well, yeah. The, the one they shot and I and I almost blew my my bow. So should we, we talk about the dump strategy then? I mean, that have to <laughs> dump come strategy. Dump, dump strategy is a must. I, I think, but I don't know if I want to be a you no, know just kind of share worked, that yet. It's not VM patented. We worked strategy. at least that cow forty five minutes, right, Luis? Oh yeah, at uh, least yeah. forty five minutes. Yeah, but they never talked, right? But so I, was, I mean, yeah, I was they were silent. Farther away, I was able to hear them. So, but it was like 45 minutes. I stayed, I stayed. So the way this happened is we got to this, the top of this ridge and uh, that's the ridge that Beto's Beto talking about. Yeah. yeah. And then, so that was the day before Beto got his kill and we're, we're up there and when we get up there, it was beautiful. It was perfect beautiful, morning. The wind beautiful. was perfect. And we're like, you know what, let's just make a few cow calls here and maybe throw a bugle and see what happens. And, all of a sudden, we hear branches breaking. Well, Manano hears, hears them like in, in the direction where they're at. So the wind was perfect. And so he stayed there. And then I backed out, you know, using kind of that because we were at the top of that ridge and I was using the topography a little bit to kind of hide myself, be able to see Manano because I knew Manano was actually, you know, Going forward. having eye contact with, with, the, with the cows. So at that point, I was like, okay. I started cow calling, cow calling, just slow playing it. And, uh, and then all of a sudden I was like, okay, what, what's working? And then I threw a, a bugle, a young bugle. And, and I, I heard some branches. I'm like, Hmm, maybe that's, so I'm, I'm trying to watch Manano to see his reaction um, based on what I'm doing. So I can do more of, uh, that you know and then i started raking a tree and so again it just it was i was trying to play it as if there was a young bull there with a few cows and, what, and, and you uh, say that you sounded like a young bull what does that mean how how did you i was it well i didn't i didn't put a lot of aggressiveness in the in the in more the passive mm. yeah it was a bit more of a location bugle and it was kind of short not something really extended out it worked because it yeah. came yeah. running like it came running <laughs> so yeah so and if it's really short it it's actually more of a roundup, roundup. and right, right. and Talking and the, the thing cow. is 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 it sounded like a young bull doing a roundup so you really didn't add the voice inflection like the right. no no i was trying just to kind of be more harmonic with it mm -hmm. and then so yeah they, they came running we had that event that you all heard on the on the on the campfire podcast and then after that, we decided to take a break. We all went to take a dump. They came back. <laughs> and That's the dump they strategy. They decided yeah. to look at Manano when he was so, taking a dump. <laughs> there goes the, the theory of the family of five. Y'all should have just told him, do you guys have to go to the bathroom? Because now's the time, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so no shot opportunity there. Manano comes back and he's like, did you see them? I was waiting for you to shoot him. I was like, no, I was taking a dump too, man. So, uh, we was like they're still down there so we went down that ridge kind of to where 
where they were, staying behind, working the wind. Let me stop you there. Can you picture myself, you know, naked from the bottom half? <laughs> no, no, I can't no, no, we don't want to. We don't have to picture yeah. this. No, no, we won't that. <laughs> I was like, I was frozen, man. Just watch it. <laughs> <laughs> this guy was not five yards from him right what, did so, you have an arrow knocked? let me ask you when you're taking a dump did you have an arrow knocked oh and the oh. bow was not even closed the bow oh. was like that's 20 yards away that's a yeah. problem right yeah, yeah. we now didn't realize that what if a bear would have come out you know oh yeah not good <laughs> so you threw the bow at him Jim. so we went down trying to find <laughs> these cows and again set up again with the wind the wind coming up towards the ridge, the cows were going down. Manano is halfway between me and the cows. And I start cow calling again, trying to use the same technique. I say, well, if I brought him once, maybe I can bring him a second time. Yeah. Well, you know, Manano soon realized I went quiet because I had, all of a sudden I heard branches cracking behind me. There was a bull coming right behind me at 18 yards. Yeah, and I was frontal, like 40. I drew on him. But I no shot. shot, turned around, no shot. And by the time Manano drew, he didn't, you know, he didn't like the wind was going towards him. He smelled yeah. us and he, you know, he took off. That's the same bull that Beto shot the next day. Yeah. Yeah. It, so was, if we, if we he like, was, he was uh, full of more than, you know, yeah. <laughs> and beautiful. you know, clarifying like your strategies and your thought processes and everything that you did. So when you, you know, when you were, when you were doing that, one of your strategies was also to watch your shooter because your shooter had eyes on the animal and watch how that he was reacting to that and hopefully getting, cause I, I, if I remember correctly, you guys talked about how at one point your signals, you had none and it was hard mm -hmm. to understand each other. Yeah, and we, and we and, were discussing about to have some sort of a communication between the caller and the yeah. shooter and, uh, you know, it would be great I, to I have some sort of like, before we left on that. Yeah. <laughs> That or yeah, but I mean, it's still, it's just, it's just, you know, sometimes the topography doesn't help the branches even, right. I mean, we're, sure. we're nicely camoed, man. Sure. It's hard. It was hard for me. Like when I moved and try to kind of walk and make noises and break oh, yeah. branches, I would turn around. I was like, Whoa, I Where'd lost him. Where the yeah. heck did he go? You know? So it's, mm -hmm. uh, it's hard to, we were just thinking, it's like, man, it would be nice to have some sort of Bluetooth yeah. device that is just kind of like that, the, them earbuds that you can just, you know, talk to the other person. You don't need a, a cell phone signal. Like that would but be body awesome. language, watching the body language of your shooter. When yes. you're the caller is critical because you're right. They can definitely, you can tell if it has something because that, um, but works year when or... I called that bull in from a nano and I saw him go to full draw I and he threw a bugle and, he... and he's at full draw. I realized that that animal's locked up. up. The cow call, he takes a step and it's over. So mm -hmm. yeah, there's ways that you can help out just by watching the body language on there. Now, Gilbert, your, your strategy, talk about your strategy, how you overcame the silent. Yeah. Look, look, we, we learned real quick by talking with the mafia and, and, and in our assessment that these bulls were using the tops of these ridges that were going in and out of water. So we knew if we could get okay, around Beto, who yeah. was the one telling you to go there? Well, you and Luis. Manano first, and then Luis talked to me. So after. I, I would accept it. 
This one, I, I won't pass yeah. this one, Beto. you're going to have to, you're going to have to buy him a mug that says banana. I was, I was, I told you first. Okay. Yeah. You told him yeah. first. So, okay, Gilbert. So, so look, in, 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 but what I did was use it's it not fair. It's not fair, man. What, what I used is in a totally different area where RC and I started. Same thing with, with Luis being able to see Manano. I called in some bulls for RC that hung up on us because we knew there was a little Trinos that run through there. Nice. We, needed to, <laughs> oh, we needed to get past that. We knew it too. Man, RC and I talked about it when we were setting it up and we put Brendan down in front by the Trinos. We're like, man, we need find to find that, that for our side. listeners that haven't heard that one. Oh, it's it's like it's a little creek no channel more. or a little gorge <laughs> that runs in between. A Trinosh? Yeah, Trinos. Trinos. Uh, so okay. anyway, we knew that that was a barrier. Okay, Joe. But if we got any deeper, it was going to sound like a herd of buffalo coming off of that ridge, up another one, and getting right in their kitchen. So I had enough. I, I had enough uh, confidence in my calling ability to be able to suck them, suck them over to us. Right. The thing was, is this was still early in the hunt, and we didn't know how call shy they really were. And, and what I mean by that is they just didn't come when they had openings. They were going to look first before they came pouring. Absolutely, in I mean uh, elk are going to do that anyway, right? For sure. And and they ran to the side of that ridge, and when they ran to the side of that ridge, looking down on us, I saw RC Knox turn immediately, and when he did, I just went the other direction and started calling. Sound like a herd bull, or it sounded like a bull with a, a cow that was in heat, and I just kept walking away. Man, I got two hundred yards from them. And how did you do that, bro? How did you sound like a bull with a cow in heat? Yeah, so man, look. I, I at first I just very started, carefully, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> at first I just started the displaying deal, you know, where we're panting and we started glunking and uh-huh. and then you know getting him worked up and, and you know a little bit of stuff like that and 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 then some some cow calls that were more insistent. Hey, bull, come with me, right? I mean, you know, more and then little contact buzz and that calling the bull to them, you know, and then uh, and then that one insistent time, emotion to what yes. you're doing, being come kind on, of demanding buddy. with that. Come on, buddy. And yeah. So the bulls responded. They came right towards RC, and when they stopped at the edge of the Tranos. Grinders tuning in, thank you for listening to the Blue Collar Elk Hunting Podcast. Our goal is to share our knowledge and help you flatten that learning curve so that you too can have some of the very same incredible experiences that have given all of us here at Elk Bros a lifetime of memories. If you like what you hear or see, you can get all of this information plus so much more from our Base Camp Elk Hunting Training Camp, the first in a series of online courses from our Blue Collar Elk Academy. Our Base Camp Training Camp allows me to use my coaching style and share almost 40 years of elk hunting experiences successfully hunting elk on public lands as well as over 20 years guiding hunters of all ages and experience levels. This course will be like nothing you have ever experienced in concept and structure using success-based coaching techniques that will elevate your confidence and skill sets. Our camp will prepare you specifically from that final moment most in your control. 
those final minutes or seconds the elk is in front of you, backwards through each step and level, allowing you to see, visualize, understand, and relate every coaching point to what lies ahead, the next step, the next thought process, the next success. Because y'all, you've already been there. You know what it looks like. By tapping my 30 years of teaching and coaching experience, our camps are developed considering multiple learning modes with text, visuals, audio, as well as video. And Basecamp will benefit those new to elk hunting all the way to the 10 to 15 year vet. So if you are looking for that one thing to help you fill that tag this year, invest in the most important piece of equipment there is, you and your elk hunting knowledge. You can find the Blue Collar Elk Hunting Academy and the Base Camp Training Camp at elkbros.com. That's E-L-K-B-R-O-S dot com. Keep dreaming of the screaming, believing in achieving, and most of all, keep grinding. They stopped right up there and, and they were looking like, okay, where's the elk? You know, where the heck are they? So we knew it could happen to us. It did. But while we came back to camp and talked to Manano and Luis, they were, you know, they, they elaborated on these ridge tops. And I, I, we keyed into that early is these ridge tops that led to water were going to be key transitional areas, right? So when Manano and them said they were going to another area, I said, well, look, y'all been in elk every day. One thing I've learned above all else is you don't leave fish to find fish. And for, for it's the same scenario with fishing. I went straight back into that area where they had had some, some success and some encounters. And when we got in there, man, we just started putting on a scenario and, and those scenario calling was the ticket for us. Right. And, and what I mean by that is everything was really slow. It just sounded like herd talk and some cows and, and then we just escalated that from there and into a breeding sequence. And what we wanted to do is we knew those elk were quiet, hadn't heard any bugles after the second or third day. And we knew that pressure and hot weather and everything else was coming upon them. And I knew that water was going to be key. And so when we found that water hole there on the, on the, on our e-scouting, right. We knew that that was two, three benches, from the bottom and look it was treacherous getting there but when we got to when we got to the first one rc had to take a dump so another dump take me <laughs> rc goes and takes a dump and i'm Poppy telling cats. you brew uh brendan said man i heard a bull i think i heard a bull answer you but he was a pretty good ways off well let, let me tell you something about that country that country's so big that if you hear a bugle at all he's close because I'm telling you straight up, those bulls would sound a long way off because of the topography that they were dealing with. A bench below you, you might even not hear that bull, right? And it's just a bench below you, two or 300 feet, and you may not hear him at all, especially if you're up there in that thick stuff. So we didn't really understand that till as we kept hunting deeper. Well, when we put on the scenario, uh, that's when uh, Brendan heard that bull. And then I went back we climbed another bench to the very top around that wallow and we did it again. Well, man, it wasn't, you know, we, we hadn't given it 15, 20 minutes and those ducks flew in uh, to the wallow. And I just happened to start filming the ducks and, 
you know, again, not giving it really enough time and being patient. And I happened to look to my right and here comes, here he comes just walking in, looking for the party. You know, he's looking for, Hey man, where in the hell are all these elk? I've been trying to catch them from the bottom. You know, I've been letting them know I was coming, you know, and probably I, we never heard him from the, from the bottom again. And he just kept following us. What really blows me away is I know we left scent coming up that ridge and he must have either came in above us where he never caught our scent line or something, Joe, you know, where we were walking and he walked right in there on us. I, like I, I right still don't, life. I still don't think, uh, I don't know. I just don't think human scent that's been through an area that's after it's been old, that's not fresh. I really don't think in those areas because of the amount of people they cross. I mean, look where we were finding elk. We were finding elk three quarters of a mile from where everybody was camping, that everybody was driving by, that everybody was. Yeah, but there's a reason why they're driving by because ain't nobody wanted to walk their fat ass up there. No, I'm, know, I mean, it's tough. It's tough. <laughs> between us and where Chad was at was very great country. It was good sure, country to walk, sure. but people were going like elk have to be up at 10,000 feet. They have to, and they're driving right by this area. These elk are smelling camps, dude. Yeah. And they're, yeah. they're right there. You know, they're, they're not that far. So I, I just, that whole thing of scent, I think he could have gone over what, where you guys had gone through and it would not freak him out. I just feel that way. Well, but so the good thing there. is we were savvy enough elk hunters to set up mm-hmm. on the downwind side of that walla, right? Have right. we set up on the sure. upwind side of, we were hosed, right? right? But we sat up in the right and sat up in the shade, not in the sunlight. I mean, we were really good. And he couldn't silhouette us. And when he came walking in there, the three stooges, commenced to having uh, you know a free-for-all to try to get an arrow knocked up and uh i mean it was it was comical but all of what we did the scenario calling in those areas in the transition areas between the wallas and their bedding area and i'm gonna tell you straight up those elk lived right there they didn't just come in there for a little while or whatever. I believe that was a bedding area for a lot of them. Oh, I think yeah. that ridge up above it was absolutely a bedding area because, 100%. I mean, when we started working that, uh, myself, Manano, and Luis, you got up there and once you hit right up towards uh, that top side of that, yeah. those elk were bedded up in those areas. Yeah. They were very comfortable. They were getting all their thermal regulation and they, you know, they could drop down into the wallows. They could go up to the other lakes that are there. It was absolutely, I mean, it was a thick, thick area in there. The vegetation, the, the, the grass. Unbelievable feed. Yeah. Right on the line. And that's, and that's what we communicated the first day because we yeah. were in that area the first day and we're like, they're here. Another, this is it. Another Landed coaching point that I wanted to give out of what Gilbert is saying, though, is it's real important for those people is that, look, anytime you stop to call, anytime you stop to look, anytime you stop to scratch your neck, I don't care, always stop in a place where you have shooting lanes and a shooting ability around you. Don't stop that you so that you have a tree in front of you or that you have branches around you. Yeah. Get and always stop where you have because it always mm-hmm. seems like when you stop and let's say you have a conversation, let's say that you're, I don't know, you're going to pull out something. To eat. seems like whenever you stop or you're going to call or you're trying to think or you're looking at your base map and figuring mm-hmm. things out, that's when elk have an opportunity to catch up to those sounds that they've Definitely. been talking yes. to. 
And yeah, a lot of times Joe. they come into your shooting area and yeah. you're not ready because yeah. if we have been standing there in the middle of that wall instead oh, of moved off to the downwind side up in the Aspens, I'm telling you, we're hosed, dude. You know, he, he's going to walk just up on that side of that ridge and see us standing there shining like a diamond in a billy goat's tail in. And I mean, it is going to be Katie bar the door. He's out. You know what I mean? But we were smart enough to move over there on that side and, and film the ducks, you know? I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, and, and again, you guys are filming the duck, and people don't realize this. And this is what Manano was trying to actually say is mm-hmm. that, Sometimes you, and when you say slow, people think that you're moving through the woods slow. Slow yeah. means you stop at times and listen. Yes, 100%. You, know? yeah. uh, you can listen. move. And then when you move to an area that is a new sound area, a new, yeah. uh, it's like casting your pole, right? When two it's a new area yards. that you're casting yeah. those sounds, after yeah. you've casted those sounds, stop, let mm-hmm. it marinate. You know, yeah. let that, let yeah, that yeah. bait fall to the bottom, yeah, you know, buddy. feel that string to see if you yeah. get it right. And that's what Manano is saying is that it, and no, I don't no. want it to be misconstrued when he says it, be slow and listen, it's not, you have to, it's not that you have to stalk through the woods. Patiently. I mean, yeah, you can right. walk through the woods making cow calls and that give yeah. the illusion of cows moving through yeah. that point, just like the elk do the elk stop and they eat, they stop and they listen, you know? You have to do as the elk. Yeah. Look, and when RC and myself and Brendan would move through the woods, we were cow calling the whole time because, I mean, we sound like I heard a buffalo coming through there, crashing through stuff. But, you know, I've been with Joe many, many years, and, you know, we snap a twig or a big branch. We're going to let out a few cow calls like, you know, it's a herd coming through there. It's a few cows that are making their way. And when we do do spot on stock on hogs and public land, yeah. yeah. We, we can't call them. We just have to be kind of walk silently and we, then stop and listen because all you hear is the. You right know, on. the hogs, they walk pretty fast and then stop and yeah. listen like oh, five yeah. seconds, 10 seconds, yeah. and then walk again and listen. Yeah. That's I, a, a I want to give an observation about the animals, though, that's kind of important to say. And again, this was our area, but it's, and I've never seen it like this before. I mean, I never myself ever saw over two cows. Agreed, Joe. It yeah, was like, either. yeah, like one cow here. And, and I'm like, really? One cow? Yeah, I've yeah. never seen this time of year. I've Me never either. seen one cow by itself. Where I'd see a cow and a calf, where I'd see two cows. Chav saw one time, he saw, I think, how many cows do you see, Chav? I think the most at one time was five cows. Five cows he saw? We, we saw, saw 20 we, that day. And, and a small bull. Of total, I saw all kinds, yeah. but yeah. we saw but six small groups. We saw six elk together coming down the mountain when we were that's taking a, a nap on our hammocks. That's a herd. Yeah. But but that was like the biggest group that you would yeah. see. Yes. And yeah. which and for us, where we hunt in New Mexico, that's a small group, man. Yeah. That's a, that would be that and, and this is the other observation was it seemed to me like there was a younger age class overall of mm-hmm. bulls. There were a lot of rag yes. yeah. um and and not a whole lot of older mature, mature bulls. Bull. I wasn't seeing that. And I'm seeing like a raghorn with a single cow, you know. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so 
like when you're walking through now sounding like a herd, you know, in that area, it was almost a little different, but you know, I, it, it was really weird to me to see that I'd see one cow and I'm like, okay, I'm ready for the cow and the bull and the other cows to show up. And well, that, that goes to show, uh, the day that we were hunting together, you know, b- based on that knowledge, we soon realized that being very aggressive and sounding very mature with the bugles yeah, may have been yeah. scaring them off. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're all like, hey. So like they, they, uh, they felt, you know, it seemed like big bulls in that area are not common and, and everybody else is afraid of them. Absolutely. So let me tell you what does not work. <laughs> so, so we are, we're moving through the woods and we've gotten up to a certain stage and, um, we get a response. We get a bull that gives us a, a, a light bugle and a little cow call. We hear the cow call. Uh, so we set up and Luis goes uh, back behind me, does a little bit uh, of some displaying back there. And Manano is behind me filming. And, uh, <laughs> and then I was like, there they are, there they are. You know, he's like, and there is a cow. I can see the cow first. And you were talking to Luis. Because I'm signaling to Luis which calls because I know that these animals. So I'm trying to signal which calls for him to do. And Manano, and I've already seen the cows coming. And Manano's going, Joe, Joe. And I'm like, Manano, I see him like that, you know. Joe, Joe, right there. So here's the, and here's the thing. Let me show you where my big error is, is that having been instinctive all these years and shooting a bow with no let off, I've never drawn really early, mm-hmm. be ready for an animal yeah. coming through. So when I see that cow elk coming and I can see the bull right behind him, there is an immature bull right behind this cow. And this cow is coming straight at me. It's a complete frontal coming at me. And this bull is right behind the cow licking the air as he's falling and it's a very immature bull and well in that situation (laughs) legal very legal very legal yes he was a legal bull but in that situation i've always talked about if you haven't been able to draw scream a bugle and draw at the same time well let me tell you what that might work (laughs) with mature bulls but when you have an oh, immature bull, I got scared watching the video. Yo, Holy they crap, were, yo, they were like, I don't know, five <laughs> yards away, 10 yards away. Yeah. It was seven yards away. I think that that cow came to, and, and I was like, something's got to get now in Rob Canales was, had a bull 18 yards and Rob looked at me. And, and then after he says, Joe, when a bull is right on top of you, how do you know when to draw? What, how do you know what to do? And I want to tell, and I told Rob, look, it's not always an answer because there's so many variables. Here I am with a cow coming straight at me and my head is spinning because I've got a frontal. I'm not drawn at that time. A bull's right behind her. She's coming in, you know, 15 yards, 10 yards, all the way to like seven yards, five yards. It wasn't that far. I mean, I could have thrown something and just hit her just like that. 
And so I do my instinctive thing. I bugle and draw at the same time. Well, let me tell you what happens. <laughs> he scared old Freddy out of his There's floor, not a soul man. left in that mountain after that. They, man. they saw Freddy Krueger. Mountain when, <laughs> you, when you bugle at an immature bull that thinks that he's got something that he shouldn't have, it was like catching a 13-year-old guy with the farmer's daughter, dude. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 his eyes went, Whoa! <laughs> I screamed a bugle, man. That dude went, what? He turned and he ran. He thought a bull was going to kill, kill him. him. But he yeah. he was, the, the, the cow did something I've never, and I'm, I wasn't worried about the cows looking at the bull. She but, barked. But we looked like, at the video and the cow takes its mouth and goes, yeah. like yeah. a, a weird biting. thing. Its mm-hmm. mouth, like biting the air. It's, it's, it's kind of like she was so scared she wanted to scream, but voice wouldn't yeah, come but, out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so, and to let you know that he had no idea what we are, that he really thought a bull was going to kill him. He ran off. We called him back. Right? Uh, we just let him go. And Manano's like, Joe, he's there. I can hear him. He's there. Yeah. So, so he was there. We're that just dude. looking at my eyes like, what the hell are you hearing, man? I was like, yeah, I can hear him. He's back there. They <laughs> came back. Like, <laughs> what was cool is he would look at me because I'd look at him like, are you sure? And he looked at me, he, he looked at me like that look how your mom looks at you like, oh, yes, it's there. <laughs> yeah, don't worry. Just be patient, buddy. <laughs> you know, it's like, and sure enough, I look over there and you see him and he's creeping back because I'm giving these cow calls and he actually comes in. He's probably 20 yards and needs one. He was, he was farther. I think he was like 27. He didn't fart, bro. I didn't hear him fart. Farther. Oh, farther. Oh, okay. <laughs> you were far. <laughs> he needs one more step to step out really does yeah and uh and and he was like he was still looking for that bull and he's like okay maybe i could sneak in with this cow but there's a bull in the air i mean you could just see his body language was like (laughs) i don't want to get caught again (laughs) he already had his hand in the cookie jar oh he did man he just turned and went out of there and he was gone but so i can tell you what doesn't work is is that you know, in that situation, as I reevaluate that situation, I would in that one with a young, immature bull, I was probably better just drawing, letting him see the movement and maybe boogering 5, 10, 15 yards and possibly getting a shot. Or if I really was astute to my equipment, I would have drawn, yeah, ahead of time. But that's it's not even currently in my playbook is right, something that right. I change. Yeah. So um yeah, so that's something that that wouldn't work like that. So that I I, I just wanted to put that out of there as something that well, hey is lesson learned Joe and and as we went through the week it was very evident the more aggressive we got with bugles the less turned on they were. Right. And I mean I, you know I remember we it was me, you, RC Knox and Cole, we had a bull above us, and I think we just overstimulated him, you know. Oh, and uh, Luis killed his bull on day six of the hunt. So, I mean, yeah. you know, that's uh, when everything had already gone quiet. Yeah. But he finally I, found one that would talk. He found so, one that would talk. He responded. Yeah, yeah, he responded. And I think, you know, as as we got closer to that equinox, 
you know, those things were going to start happening. They were getting, you know, even though that there was so much pressure and few of them, the ones that were there were willing to cooperate if you made the right sound. So know? I want everybody to know, though, I went back um, just recently for about, uh, it was probably two and a half days of actual hunting and when bulls should have been screaming and they weren't, Yeah, you know, um, it was very, very quiet. It was strangely quiet. And, and I can, and I have a theory as to why on that. Um, I, again, I'm not no biologist or anything, but, but one thing that we do know is that for a cow elk to go into estrus, it's depending on how much fat that they've got built up from their feed, that's going to allow them to have a health, a healthy calf. So that whole fat content kind of controls when they go into estrus. So when you have a bad year of feed, you have cows that are coming into estrus younger and older and different physical aspects of them that are coming into estrus at different times. So you can have ruts to spark up all the time, but man, with all the feed that was up there with all the grass, I think, I think these cows all have been very healthy. And we had that rut at the very beginning of September that was, you know, that kind of went nuts there. And then I really think that that next cycle was going to happen that 20 days or so afterwards. So Mm -hmm. yeah, about that 25th, yeah. And I think October is going to explode. I really do. But, um, so I, I think that was part of it. Now, when we talk about strategies, we talked about the mafia strategy. We talked about Gilbert strategies, but there was somebody who saw more elk than uh-huh. all yeah, of buddy. us combined. So oh, yeah. let's Look, talk I about your strategy, Chap. Yeah. And I well, think that you know, has to be a big one because I'm telling you, we could all learn from that. Yeah. Well, it, I, like, as, like you said, I had a different experience, uh, First time in a blind. And uh, I think it kind of reinforced something that we said before in a previous podcast is that uh, if it's secluded enough, uh, a waller or a spring or a small pond, uh, a bull elk will come in the middle of the day uh, to cool off or to drink. And uh, what I noticed. Yeah, especially because it's hot. And it got really hot there a couple of days. It got really hot. We're talking yeah. 90 degrees. degrees. Yeah. Yes. yeah, and I had a 5 by Perfect 5 weather. Yeah, a 5 by 5 came in at 1230, you know, where most people are back back uh, at camp if it's too hot. He came in there and played around in the water for, you know, a good 10, 10 minutes at least. It seemed like longer, but it was probably just 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I took the shot at a different uh, bowl at three o'clock or 310. Yeah. I remember yeah. the, the text yeah. at 310. And that was in the middle of the day. Yeah. Uh, and there was a group that came in right around four o'clock. And then from six to seven, uh, I, I saw that the larger group came in. So uh, what, I, what I gathered from all that was, of course, the bowl's going to come in if they're hot, you know, to cool off or to drink. And uh, they'll come in if they have cows with them, the cows will come with the bull. But uh, I noticed that, you know, nothing came in early, early in the morning. So, you know, I figured that the the elk were probably pretty active that night, you know, had enough to drink and were heading to their beds early in the morning. But as it warmed up, you know, that was their opportunity to get some water to cool off. And... uh, yeah, and we had uh, insects in the lower, I was at the lower elevation. You guys are a little bit higher. 
Uh, so the insects were a problem probably for the elk even, where they would come in and, and try and get mud on themselves uh, and to cool off. So that my observation was, and it reinforced the idea that a, a bull will go to water or to a waller in the middle of the yeah, day. They got a drink. Right. And, uh, and, and like I said, nothing came in before 12, but right at 1230, that one bull came in and it was the hottest, hottest day that we were up there. Uh, so. And really you know, this, this area of the blind of your chav was only about 300 yards off of a two track. So, right. um, but it, because of topography, it was secluded enough, uh, yeah. there and, you know, I, I think it's really critical to reemphasize what you're saying, though, is that is most hunters, if you think about their pattern, most hunters are going back to camp about 10 o'clock. A lot of guys don't head out till four o'clock yep. and people will go set water in the evening when, especially when they're pressured areas, those mm -hmm. critters are actually getting water between yeah, 11 and three. And then they're waiting till dark, what Chav said. You know, they're already watered and they're not needing water in the morning because they're watering in the, at night. You know? So, yeah. Now, in, in Luke, I think water drove it. Uh, it drove the corridors where the, between the ridges. That's where those elk needed to go and drop off and get water. And um, then they could go right back to their bedding areas and eat because there's plenty of feed up there, at, you know, around 10, 6, 10, 8, and even higher. I mean, there was plenty of feed there. But, I mean, look, I, it's, it is a known fact that if one of us would have sat with Chab every hunt, we'd all limited out. I mean, we'd all kill bulls, you know. So it was really in, inevitable that when it's hot like that, this note to self, when it's hot like that, you know, when you find a waller that's secluded and in, in those kinds of that's gold. Stay around. Hey, stay around it. That's right, brother. But but how how tough was that, Chaff? Well, it was pretty tough. But uh, you know, when I realized that nothing was gonna come in in the morning, I kind of slipped in. Yeah. And and got out there in the middle of the day. But uh yeah, it got cold, real cold in the morning, and that was tough. As a matter of fact, when I when I took the shot, I was actually laying down reading a book. <laughs> and I heard, I heard something odd and I go, what, that doesn't, that's something different. And I peeked out and I could see the elk were at the water hole. <laughs> and and he, so was, cool. he was actually, what kind of blind was that that you guys brought for him, Luis? Oh it's man, big. it's, it's one of the big, big blinds. Um, it's a pop-up blind though. It's yeah, a, it it's a, a like pop-up blind. It's, it's like a double it's, bull, but it's And it, it contained his scent so well, he actually had cow elk that came Behind, behind us blind behind me yeah 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 some something big came up Game one winner? day one day because uh no. something startled got to the tent and was startled because i could hear the rocks and you know it's like holy cow what was that you know is that a bear or <laughs> but yeah. i could i also saw elk uh crossing behind me you know when i peeked over on the side i could see some elk walking by yeah and they had to be gosh 10 feet from the from the blind uh, huh. and at and at no time did the elk look at the blind itself which i thought stood out now the one deer that came in he kept his eye on the blind the whole time yeah you know now the blind did resemble some of the rocks in the area so you know some of the A big rocks rock. in the, yeah, yeah so, which is important oh, again i think to kind of 
reiterate the behavior around elk noticing movement more than actual still objects because that little calf that came running towards us uh joe we stopped and she just came right around us and like graced my broadhead and and, (laughs) yeah yeah, she was actually going to walk on one side of us turned and walked in front of me and right by luis's arrow on the yeah. side right there and uh yeah. when, and you get that video from you guys I, I i somehow i don't have that video i i want to put that that's incredible it was a great it video. is it is so, so and 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 to chaff's point too is if we if we think about this you know what is the best the good name i, I forgot the name of the small parks where some sometimes they would have wallows or not but those parks those meadows. small parks meadows there you go that's the word so if you think about it all four elk that were shot in our camp this year were shot by meadows. With, with water. Close proximity. Close, to close, all yeah, four. Yes. All four. Uh, the first one, Mananos, they were coming up from a meadow. The second one, Beto, in the middle of the meadow where the water in was. water, yeah. Yeah. The third one, Chaff, in the meadow <laughs> with water. The right. fourth one, Mine, Right next to a meadow. Actually, actually, most I I would say all of the beds we found were in meadows. We're in meadows. Yeah. We found a cow bedded in a meadow Secluded that we meadows. that we we didn't have a shot at. But, but. see that's and that's the, that's another thing though is is okay is when people hear the word meadow they think like this large open area Mm-mm. that everybody can see and these were these were like oh. many secluded openings meadows in that you i mean you had to be way back to be able to see them right it wasn't like um something that was wide open so i i really believe that you know when people look at big parks and they think that the elk are coming down from these ridges to go to the their night beds in the big parks these elk weren't having to do that they were they were right there everything up there aspen grass in these big aspen areas they were making night beds in these smaller openings like that that were very grassy very cut everything they had everything up there shade it's 25 degrees cooler up there joe absolutely i mean you know it's 90 degrees 85 90 degrees down where we were camping and i guarantee you it probably never got above 65 up there you know so think it's about that thermal regulation 100 the food was everywhere so everywhere food, it was yes. everywhere so it was thermal regulation water and security right yeah. okay it is yeah. are those things that they, that we were really focusing on and it seemed to be at a certain area now i'll tell you when we went back just a couple of days ago there in all of those areas that we found elk before were void of elk. And what had happened is, is elk were now being found up above 11,000 feet in that area. And some of that has to do with pressure, but a lot of it has to do as well as that with survival. Those mm-hmm. elk are now going up where there's still great grass at the higher elevations and they're eating that grass and they're not eating themselves out of their winter home later on. So that mm-hmm. when the snow flies and they get forced down, mm-hmm. they're still going to have food to eat when they move down. Mm-hmm. So they're eating that good grass up higher right now. And it's taking them away from pressure and it's taking, and it's letting them have a food source that's yeah. available now and leaving a food source for later. Less so interesting. Too. Yeah. 
It's, mm-hmm. it's real important to think about things like that when you're out there. And because it, they were definitely at certain levels. Now we found elk down around Chab that people were walking by, but oh, yeah. they, but were, they were coming down. They were coming down to him. You know, I, I don't necessarily think they were bedded right behind him or something. I actually think they were on those ridges above us there and they were actually moving down to they could do it like that you know what i mean it's not like to get to 10 6 where the guys were fine right right. a couple of other things joe i think that work well um one is communication um and then and then two is also you know my fear of no regrets right i mean grind it Uh, i think i think everybody like when you come back knowing it that knowing that you have given it all then then there's no regret there but learning so i i think and i think you know our camp has been known for for that year on year and i think that mindset really really makes a difference because it's contagious and everybody supports each other even and the you know when we're the most tired you know, hurt, yeah, uh, and we're going through the, the downs and the lows. <laughs> the highs and the I'll, lows. I'll tell you an interesting thing is, is Cole has always been kind of like a, a loner hunter, like yeah, solo type hunter. Mm-hmm. Now he hunts with Kyle, but he's the type of guy that'll go out there for days and go to different places and hunt on his own. And uh, when I just saw him here just a couple of days ago, he said, after I left elk camp and I came to hunt by myself, he said, I was up there one time and he said, this sucks. <laughs> He's like, man, where are my buds at, man? He was like, he had so much fun, you know, the camaraderie and you know the 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 time that that we have together in camp and in the evenings and stuff. He really, you know, that uh, that put a mark on him and he really enjoyed that and it's hard not to enjoy that's why we do what we do look and, and he's an absolute savage dude i mean the guy, the guy just jumped right in there in the middle of it with us and was not going to be denied i mean a- absolutely thoroughly enjoyed him in camp uh you know him and rob the ceo rob canales <laughs> as well i mean dude the, those guys were freaking awesome and, and uh, Yep. I, I, I really wish it would have worked out so we could have had Eric with us. Cause I think that would have been a complete yeah. circle there. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Coaches and, and when I, the monster, Eric Aragon. That's yep. right. And then when I, when I was yeah, saying communication, it, it not only meant the communication um, of us sharing information on a daily basis. I take that for granted now because <laughs> that's the way we operate, but I'm talking about, those solio devices, like your post on Instagram today, right? I mean, the way we communicate. I had somebody asking me, uh, he's like, hey, man, what what device do you guys use to communicate? Because I'm having, I'm, we're not having luck with what we're using right now. And I told him, I said, hey, man, look, I, you know, we've been using these guys and, and the Zolio really has worked incredible for us. For the us. day Beto killed his bull, that was critical. We were on a complete opposite side of the mountain. And we were able to work our way over there and, and be able to help out, you know? And so it same, same when we killed Manano's cow, Manano and I texted you guys said, Hey, we got a uh, an elk down. You guys keep on hunting. We got this because we we knew that we could handle it from where we were without, you know, and then letting everybody else do their thing. And then, you know, same when I killed the bull, I communicated it, you know, Hey, bull down, Manano's going to camp. And then two guys were able to meet Manano at camp 
and uh, and then they came in and helped out. So I mean, it yeah. worked beautifully as far as being able to know and and understand what everybody was doing. So and we were checking on each other every day. Stafford, I was Stafford, able Stafford. to help help uh, Cole coming off the mountain too. Go pick him up because that was going to be a miserable walk for him to come all the way back to camp. You know, Tom you know? sent a text out at three fifteen. He's like, nobody answered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. anyway, what, again, that Zolio device is great if you if it's not covered. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. work pretty good. And if, yeah, and if you if you're paying attention to it, yeah, yeah. you can read and, and you can see thing. where it gives you the check mark and you know it's been sent or anything yeah. like that. So yeah. it's a little bit to learn, but man, what a great tool! Uh, yeah. It, yeah. Well, and I'll tell you the other thing that was games. going on with Chabs was um, we were going from pairing it with my phone to pairing yep. it with her with his, his. And, yep. and then you know when you do something like that, I don't think everything was sometimes getting paired correctly. So gotcha. I think we got to make sure Chav has a device. I have a device. Yeah, yeah. We don't hey, have everybody about that. And that's the, the cool thing. If people don't realize how good of a device this is, um, we would love to be sponsored by Zolio, but we're all <laughs> well, of they- have- when I, when I told him about Zoli, he's like, yeah, we're going to check it out. Did you guys get anything by it? I said, boys, absolutely. If watching our podcast, hit us up, we boys. Should. Yeah. We love I said, absolutely nothing. We we just honestly like to recommend stuff that works for us because, absolutely. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it has. It's worked yeah. for us. And, and Look, you do have sitting in there on the, have oh, a subscription. Yeah. Uh, we, I'm sitting in there on the table a, right now. I thought Joe and – because Joe and uh, Cole were on the mountain, I'm like, I'm not missing out on one thing that these guys say. I turn my Zolio on every night, and it was rocking and rolling in there. And I'm gonna use it down at my ranch. We don't get reception very well at the ranch, and I'll always be able to talk to Logan, you know, and, and be able to get reception. The battery lasts forever. It does forever, it, like eight days. I left mine <laughs> on the other day. I charged so it all once, all day, all night, eight days in a row. It stayed on. I charged yeah. it once. Yeah, yeah, and and it's funny because when I see mine get to fifty, I I think I think of it of, like a cell phone. Yeah, you know, <laughs> get I, I get worried, man. It's like yeah, yeah. you know. That's so why I, I charge it once. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, like I'm gonna charge it, but man, it, it will stay on fifty forever. It's yeah. A, you know, like that. So, um, guys, uh, can you think of when, when we, when we say this, because we're lessons learned insights, thoughts, um, was there any particular lesson that other something that we haven't talked about that you might've learned on this trip? But I have one, I'll give you an example is that, um, when it came to finding areas with less hunters is that, the easier it was, the better the road system, the easier and the more comfortable the camping situations were in the area, the way more hunters and camps there were going to be. Like our, our first site um, had oh, incredible man. roads. It had a lot of available camping areas that anybody could pull off with. I mean, with large RVs, oh, different yeah. things. Buses. Plus, yeah. down at the bottom near the that you know near the activity centers there were there were uh improved campgrounds there were cabins there were you know um airbnbs so it was really a place that a lot of people could go and be comfortable and still go out in the woods so um Mm -hmm. one of my lessons is is that you know if the roads get just a little bit rough 
Yeah, it holds it's a lot a little of bit. other people. It out. keeps yeah. a lot of people out. Yes, there's yeah. diehards are going to go in, but anytime you add a little bit of that or you take away amenities, mm-hmm. um, then sometimes people just uh, don't want to do without those amenities. So, yeah. something to think about. Any other Appreciate lessons it. you might have learned? For me, uh, I, I think you know those things that kind of you learn as you go, right? And and for me and Manano is we realized how difficult it was to get up there in the mountain where we were having the encounters. And then soon we realized it's like this stuff about coming here in the mornings and going back to camp and then coming back up here in the afternoons ain't working. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we immediately switched to just pretty much staying the whole day up in the mountain yeah. and try to make the most out of the day that way. You know, and I think the day was, when you were in your hammock, she had a herd come into you. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah>. Exactly. <laughs> so, so that midday, yeah. dude, there, you know, think about it. Yeah. You know, if you want to hunt elk that are less pressured, hunt when there's less pressure. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Right. And that's yeah, and, absolutely and, and that midday, right? That last yeah. day, RC and I hunted till almost one thirty, And I'm telling you, man, uh, and we called the same hunters in twice that day uh, in, in freaking a lot different areas, too. I can't believe those guys came up where we were, but they did. And uh, at the end of the day, we were in them all morning and it just we just ran out of time. You know, and uh, we had that area figured out and had made the trek that morning, got up in there and got on them early, called that bull into about 75 yards. And then, you know, um, the encounter happened and a bull left. Uh, We knew right where he went. So we decided we'd we'd uh, educate our our uh, our new team that we met and Mm -hmm. let them know who Elk Bros were and. Uh, shake their hand, thank them for their service. One of them was a lieutenant colonel in the army, uh, Colonel Brown. Uh, great meeting those guys. Nate Raglan out of out of uh, Plano, Texas. Uh, I mean, it was awesome meeting those cats, right? So, um, at the end of the day, we decide we go another, you know, couple miles straight up the mountain to another ridge top where I'd actually killed my bull, and that's when we figured it out that those areas off of that, that were more to the South were actual bedding areas. There's so many beds in there around those little parks, you know, those little meadows. Yeah. Uh, That's where was, you want to do those scenarios, right? For sure. And, and again, man, uh, you know, at one, at, we, we dove off the mountain at like 1230, one o'clock and we knew what time it was. I mean, it was, uh, we thought some, we stayed in that wallet for a long time because we knew what could come in there, but um, it was fantastic. Uh, we left it all out there on the field and, uh, yeah. our, I, and, and I've said this a thousand times, if you listen to our past podcast, I had an absolute whale of a time hunting with the legend RC Knox. I mean, we got to rekindle that and had a absolute great time. Uh, you know, anytime you hunt with him and Brendan is a good time. So it was a, a lot of fun, learned a tremendous amount. Uh, and those big things that we took away, Joe, were the elk being silent and understanding and using the established roads and trailheads, you know, to understand the travel corridors uh, between yeah. here. Those were big takeaways. But really our playbook, we used our playbook and That's we it. went into Colorado and, and got it done. Every, I mean, it, 
Yeah. And I was going to say, Joe, I mean, aside from all of that, you know, it, it, it was funny because when you're talking about the playbook, it's like as, we, as the days went by and things just started changing and Manano and I started, you know, we, we never argue. But, so we were starting <laughs> to argue uh, about, you know, yeah. the facts. I mean, so yeah. we're like, OK, dude. Let's sit down and let's talk about the facts. What are the facts? You know, when have we had encounters and why or where and all that oh, stuff and trying let, to put. Let me say something, Luis, which is a fact. <laughs> it's a fact. The tree elk we got, I picked the three areas. <laughs> did. I was the one. So sure. please. Okay. So yeah. again, Manano, you're the one. I'm the leader. I'm the leader. Segwaying into something. You know, you yes. can't you can't push it that far, man. It's just, just you well, can't do that. The the only three else we got. Did, did he say I'm the one? Did he say I'm the one? I don't know. <laughs> I, I can't understand him anymore. His English is getting worse by the minute. But anyhow, so so but the point being is like we we had to go back to the facts and we had to go back to the fundamentals and yeah. the fundamentals ended up even though that Manano's elk was was killed without calling at the moment but i do believe that the previous calling that was taking place helped yeah. created the betos betos bull wasn't killed by calling at the moment but again they were working their way into absolutely you know and so but, but when we went back to the fundamentals, calling had a big role in it. So that was important. And then the other the huge takeaway for me is like, man, when you talk about the moment, you know, when you have your the moment specials, I'm thinking when I missed, because I missed like clean missed that for that bull when I first shot at him, mm -hmm. it I was like, out. you can, mm -hmm. you, and the video, you even hear me whisper out like, oh, like what the heck, man, yeah. what happened? I was just like, you could have got I spun out, but you didn't. You stay in the I game. Couldn't. Yeah. The game. And so big deal for me, that was important being capable to recover from that miss. Hell yeah. Keep my head in the game, keep calling it because, and then call it back re you know re-knock an arrow draw again recalculate because that was my mistake my mistake was the the deceiving distance where that bull was yep. and i thought a bull was at 30 yards it was a 40 yards shot right under it um it spooked it didn't know what happened was able to call it back and to get the right shot in there that i was like i'm getting a second opportunity i'm not missing this one so but just trying to stay there for me was staying important. in the game, man. Staying connected with the whole thing. You're not not getting spun out because something went wrong. I mean, same thing for us. With three of us, we scared that bull three times. Finally, he couldn't take it, and when he peeled out of there, he was leaving. I mean, going, leaving. And you know, I whined at him two or three times, and and had the fortitude to draw as he's moving away. Right, step out from that little aspen tree, draw my bow as he's running off, and he stops broadside. You know, kind of got a gift from Brendan, no doubt. I mean, I thought he was fifty. He said fifty-three, and I mean. As soon as he says 53, it's not a fraction of a second. Yeah, you hear the arrow fast. go, poof, you know, and look, I, I'm telling you, 
if you get spun out in that situation and you watch the bull run out of your life and don't do anything about it, you know, finish. You got to stay in the yeah. moment the whole time. Oh, yeah. You're not going to lose anything, man. Exactly. I mean, it, but there's know. a lot of guys, Joe, that won't finish. They, well, they yeah, you lock up and you think it's over, but you, mm-hmm. you always got to try to give yourself an opportunity. That's the key. Yeah. You know, keep that diaphragm in your mouth, use it, throw out a cow call, throw out, I don't care what you do, do something. Yeah. You and know? when you got, when you got an opportunity to draw, draw your bow and move. It doesn't matter if that critter is in front of you 20 yards and you got stuff in front of you, draw the bow and start moving. Because you have to draw and you have to create a shooting lane or you have no opportunity. The worst and thing that can happen is the bull or the cow or whatever you're hunting is going to leave. Yeah. But look, I'm telling you, they will stay a long time. At you least know? you're you're creating the chance, man. You're giving up odds, so that's a big deal, yes. guys. Uh, we're we're hitting on our our, our time here. We're not going to get to our uh, mailbox. It's not going to happen. But I want you to know, Aaron Hughes from Fountain Green, Utah. Uh, Carter Mud Mudellen from North Dakota. Blake Johnson. Bob Rothrock from Louisville. Um, all you guys, we've got you on our in our queue. Uh, and we'll uh, we'll hit y'all's questions when we get here on the next time on the show. This has been a big deal for us hunting out of state in Colorado. Wanted to share everybody with that. Also, before uh, Gilbert closes us out, a little personal thing. You know, uh, tonight my my oldest daughter turned thirty four, and uh, happy birthday! Yeah, Brittany, happy birthday! But one thing that I want to say out there to our listeners as well is is as a father of two daughters. Um, and, and as a hunter who was a very selfish hunter in that, you know, that was kind of my time and I'm, I'm very serious about the way I hunt. I think I could have done a lot better with my daughters and including them in hunts. And, you know, my daughter's 34 years old and the gift that I got her for the first time, something I should have got her a long time ago is a buck knife. And, uh, that was her birthday present now with her name on it. And, even though that um, it's never too late in life, just like Gilbert says, you know, when that animal runs off, you still got to give yourself an opportunity. You got to draw. And even though that uh, I've missed out on opportunities, my own fault because of the way I froze up doing things uh, I'm going to try to improve on that. And, you know, my daughter's been hunting with me. She's a great hunter and, uh, and, but I haven't nurtured that. And she, and, and I think she missed that and missed out on it. So dad's out there with those daughters, you know, too late. yeah. Yeah. And that's, uh, Gilbert has been incredible, uh, in doing that. Luis is preparing his daughters incredibly, you know, Tomas um, is getting ready. Clara. He's coming <laughs> up and, and I'll just tell you is that don't miss out on that. Share it. Share your world with them. Share your past passion with yeah. them. They don't have to love it, um, but some of them might. And one thing that they do enjoy is just moments with you and what you I'm like. Telling stories. So that's my message out there for tonight. And uh, for my daughter and her birthday wish is that all of you, um, you know, share these times with your sons and with your daughters and grow that next generation and and teach them responsibly teach them ethically and uh and let's con- continue this incredible tradition so that they can have some of these incredible experiences and incredible memories and share them with you so uh, that was my great message well said brother great message joe 
Guys, if you like what we're doing, please subscribe, rate, and review us. you got to go to Apple Podcasts or iTunes to review us, and you can check out more elk hunting content at elkbros.com. And just a reminder, if any of our listeners would like their questions answered on our show, just send your questions to info at elkbros.com. That's I-N-F-O at elkbros.com. It was epic in Colorado, y'all. Uh, don't know when we're coming back, but I guarantee you it's always an option. And like we say here in the Lone Star State, fellas, husbands, kiss your wives, wives, kiss your husbands, hug your babies, keep your broad head sharp and your powder dry. And we'll see you next week right here on Blue Collar Elk Hunting. And guys, we're here he comes again, man. And him and his brother scored this year. These are true killers out there. Here's some more music from our brother, Tony Wintrip, closing out the show. Peace, peace. To put my tag on you I've been hunting a lot of years I had one too many missed shots And one too many beers I saw you rolling in when the lights went down But you never even had a clue So I left the blind on a Sunday afternoon Think I'd like to put my tag on you Well, I spent a couple nights in the window Just watching the wind blow by I'm wondering where you're gonna make your bed at And where you'll go with that sunrise In the hands of a man with the working man blues I think I'd like to put my tag on you I'd like to put my tag on you I'd give anything but my rifle that my grandpa passed through Yeah, I'd like to put my tag on you You got the biggest rack in Lord Damn about the money Here's the cold hard truth I think I'd like to put my tag on you Space in my man cave that my buddies recognize, and it has your name all over it. But you gotta jump that fence tonight. The full moon.
are rising and tomorrow's sky is blue. I'd like to put my tag on you. Yeah. I'd like to put my tag on you. I'd give anything but my rifle that my grandpa passed through. Yeah. I'd like to put my tag on you. You got the biggest rack and Lord knows that I have passed a few. I could give a damn about the money. Here's the cold hard truth. I'd like to put my tag on you. I'd like to put my tag on you. Oh yeah, baby. that has the stories to back it a life to be proud of it's a winchester life yeah baby six eight western a mule there baby right there tune in every tuesday at 7 p.m eastern on waypoint tv i'm will cooper host of hunt stands make your mark podcast if you haven't already download the free waypoint tv app to listen to our podcast and watch the original films from hunt stand presents anywhere anytime and on any device